Knockback is brought to you by thousands of supporters on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. If you want to show your support for Knockback, as well as CLS's PlayStation podcast Sacred Symbols, the eclectic interview series Fireside Chats, and the YouTube gaming series SideQuest, please consider going to Patreon and pledging for a monthly amount that makes the most sense for you. Your Patreon support doesn't only ensure that CLS continues to produce the content you love, like Knockback, but you can get cool perks, too, depending on your level of support. You can get early access to each episode of Fireside Chats, Sacred Symbols, and Knockback, totally ad-free. You can vote for show topics and provide feedback to be read on air. You can listen to exclusive podcasts only available to patrons, and much more. Your support is essential if Colin's Last Stand is to continue well into the future, so please consider showing some love. Again, that's patreon.com slash Stand. Thank you for your kindness, generosity, and support. Without you, CLS wouldn't exist. But enough of that. On to the show. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Knockback. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined, as always, by my very nostalgic brother, Dagan Moriarty. Hi, guys. Hey, guys. Dagan? Yes. Today, we're recording the third of four kind of long-distance wave 8.5 episodes of our show. Very excited about this. Correct. Uh, I'll have you know that the first two episodes that went live from this little wave, because usually, as I think the audience knows, we record them when we're together, and I'm going to go see you next week. And then we're going to record 10 more episodes, which is very exciting. Uh, But well, next week from when we're recording this, I guess next week from when patrons are hearing this as well. Uh, But we were four episodes short when we last saw each other. So we had to kind of fill it in with some normal, you know, some of our normal episodes, but doing it a little bit differently. And I'll have you know that the audio quality apparently has been very good for people. So we're doing okay. Good. Yeah. All right. Good. That's good to know. Yeah. People were people were. You know, I was going to say amped up, but that's definitely not true. But they thought that it was but they thought that the uh, audio quality was certainly acceptable. And, you know, I don't really prefer doing the show like this, but it's good to know, again, that we can do it if we have to. Absolutely. So, yeah, it feels good. It feels like a good safety to fall back on if we need to. That it works. So how's everything going in your world right now? Everything's good, man. So w- let's see what's going on in my life. My family just left for the shore. For my aunt, for uh, Helene's parents' shore house for the next couple of weeks, uh, you know, so, some people have to work around here. So some people have to stay on, stay on at home, right. <laughs> and uh, and do some stuff. But you know, as you guys know, my wife's a teacher, so, teacher, so they're out, they're down at the shore, and I got to work. I'm going into New York tomorrow. Now you know, I, call, I don't know if I told you this. I I only go to New York. I only commute now to New York City once a month. Did you know that? No, that's incredible because I know that they were asking you to come in more than once a week. Yes. And somehow you got that down to once a month. Yeah. Which is the exact opposite. It's crazy. It's was crazy. But you know, it's so crazy and I feel guilty about this. It's weird though. It's a weird phenomenon. Like the more you do a long distance commute, the more tolerable it is, which I guess makes sense just because you get used to it. You get accustomed to the, you know, the monotony of it or whatever, the ins and outs and the rhythms of it and everything. But I got to tell you, it is the worst now when I do have to go. Like, it's like pulling teeth to go into. Like, I'm just thinking of everything to do to get out of it. Like, That's it's <laughs> the craziest thing. Like, I, it's just the least, the, the less you do it, the worse it is. It doesn't make any sense in a way. But anyway, yeah, so I have to go to New York tomorrow. So, but uh, nah. yeah, but everything's all right. everything's all right. Now, what about with you? How's everything going over with you? things are fine. I'm, I'm busy. We're trying to get some stuff together and I have to really start getting my notes together now for our next wave. Cause I usually like doing that work like all at once, like over like a seven or 10 day period right. when I can kind of clean my schedule out. And the good news from when we're recording this is that dude, I'm sitting on like 10 episodes of fireside chats. 
So I'm not oh, recording wow. any for a while. Oh, cool. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I recorded four on one in one day last week. So that show's <laughs> kind of taken care of. Holy shit. Uh, we have our topics taken care of here, but we have to still obviously get our minds around that. Sacred symbols is still obviously something that I have to think about, but I'm really kind of mentally starting to prepare for our wave nine recordings. So nice. once once we get through this episode and we're going to do an episode on Resident Evil 2 as well, that will be going live after this. And that will be the last of the remote episodes, hopefully for a long time. Then uh, once I'm through, you know, once we're through that, then I'm really it's really smooth sailing to come see you now. Are Is your family? I think you told me this a while ago, but yeah. no one's going to be there when I'm there. It's just going to be us. Yeah, it's just going to be us. They're coming back a little after you. No, I guess they're coming back. Yeah, they're coming back right after you leave for because you're going down to see mom. And our right. I'm going to go see mom in Virginia. Right. So, yeah, they're leaving. So you're you're just going to miss them, actually. Yeah, they're down in Jersey. Now, it would be awesome for us to get an opportunity to go down there, but we're so busy when, when we record. We never have time for stuff like that, you know. Yeah, them being around makes me feel a little bit less guilty about the nature of our recording schedule. So actually, I'm, you know, I'm going to miss them, but it'll be kind of nice to just be with you and we can just get things done for a few days, which will be yeah, good. Yeah, we'll just chill. Yeah, it'll be good. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, it's a little over a week away. All right. Well, Dagan, I don't know if you know this. We talk about this sometimes. You are the star of knockback and today's episode kind of focuses entirely on you because you had this idea a while ago is one of the episodes we weren't able to do when you were here which was kind of like you know let's talk about childhood adventures like some adventures we went on some funny stories that are you know of the of the adolescent variety i guess or the teenage variety right things that i guess make us laugh and and you know little misadventures and, and things of this nature and i really am trying my hardest as I've said many times on the show and to you personally, I'm trying to think as small as possible and knockback, I think is best when it's really granular. I think when we try to do too much, like it, it, the shows aren't as strong. And sometimes we figure that out when we're, when we're recording a show as we did when we were recording the star Wars toys yeah. episode midway through that, we decided to change the whole nature of it. And the Absolutely. Metroid one, we were actually going to do super Metroid on that as well. And I can't believe that I never thought like before we recorded it, like why wouldn't we do super Metroid by itself? Right, and I had course. a, I, I had a separate kind of realization here. It's like, well, our show doesn't always have to be two and a half hours. It's getting our show is getting way longer, which I think is funny. But why wouldn't we just focus on Dagan's adventures or just my adventures? Because it's thinking small. It's giving us lots of stuff to talk about and lots of stuff to reminisce about. And again, because you're the the star of our show, I feel like this is an episode people are really, really going to enjoy because I think people really love your <laughs> stories. They loved the story about Uncle Mike shooting uh, rockets into the into the guy's window across the street and all of this. Uh, very timely, of course, July 4th, we wanted to make that episode. So, Dagan, today's episode's all about that, and I'm really looking forward to kind of getting into it. All right. Well, you know, thank you very much for saying that. I really appreciate that. And I think you're right. I think it is. I think this show does work best when it's granular and small. So we can concentrate on, you know, just the little ins and outs and, you know, save the, you know, and and break things out. You know, I think, yeah, I think I think we've definitely learned that. And I think that's I think that's the way to go. Now, Kyle, I have to tell you now, I don't know if I should divulge this to you and the audience, but I was just talking to mom like a couple of hours ago before. We recorded tonight, and she actually was telling me how much she enjoyed the 4th of July episode, the summer slash summer barbecue episode that we just recorded last week. And oh, she good. was telling me how much she dug it. But she, re- as she often does, which is so cool to talk to mom about some of the stories, because she remembers a lot of this stuff better than I do in a lot of cases. Not all cases, but in a lot of cases. And she kind of retconned 
the Uncle Mike story for me a little bit, which I think in a way makes it funnier. So apparently if she she's saying if she remembers correctly with shooting the bottle rockets in the window, what happened was and I think this makes it this makes it a little better on Uncle look, you know, makes Uncle Mike look a little better. Apparently they were doing it to our house first. Oh, apparently my bedroom window was open or Dana's bedroom window was open or something, a crack. And they thought they would try to do it. And Aunt Joni and Uncle Mike, being the ones that were hanging out front with the kids, saw it and said, oh, no, 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 no. And then waited until late, like until the until they went to bed and started doing it to there. You know, they were foolish enough to leave their windows open. And that's why that's why he was doing it. And mom also reminded me, too, that I think he set their curtains on fire. <laughs> 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 like it started to smolder a little bit and I, I it just it dude it's so funny like that that whole memory is so vivid for me because i literally remember the bottle rockets like the first volley or two like deflecting off the siding and stuff like, like like it was like one of those moments where you realize it's like that aunt or uncle that you have or that co- older cousin or whatever like you don't believe what's happening at first like you you think like they're just saying they're gonna do this and then all of a sudden he's actually doing it like he's actually shooting bottle rockets in the window of this house it felt so cool because you were a kid and like you couldn't do it yourself you would get killed you know but he was an adult so who who's gonna stop right. him from doing it you know his no parent. no one's gonna stop it and you know it's interesting because you're right like i guess uncle mike kind of did look a little psychotic in that uh in that story <laughs> you know what i mean so that, makes that might have been the unintentional consequence of us telling that <laughs> right so yeah. 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 So mom came in with the save there. I appreciate that. She I thought did. you were going to say when you brought up mom that I I still I thought you were going to say that she was complaining that I haven't called her back from this weekend yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, she didn't mention that. You just threw yourself under the bus though. <laughs> yeah, I just threw, yeah, I didn't have to do that. That was an unforced error. <laughs> Jeez. I got to be a little smarter with some of that stuff. All right. Uh, Dave, before we get into it, we we did decide on some so-called mini games that we would play before That's this right. wave 8.5. Right. So they're all games of chance, and I assume I'll just let you take it from here. All right, my friend. So we're doing this little segment 8.5. You know, this segment for 8.5. Now, I don't know. We talked about this a little bit before. I don't know if I'm going to continue this in the, in our live, you know, wave 9 proper. I might come up with something new. But for now, we're doing a little segment I like to call... Do you feel lucky, punk? And basically, these are just, you know, based on my fascination of luck, all things luck. I think luck is a really fascinating thing. And I wanted to test Colin's luck on a few little mini games, you know, very simple games of chance and see how lucky Colin is. Now, the first two we did, Colin didn't fare all that well, I think it's fair to say. But who knows? Let's see how much, you know, now we're a week and a half, two weeks later or something like that. So now we'll see how perhaps your luck has changed. Now, I was just telling the column before we started out, I couldn't find the uh, magic eight ball. The kids took it from my studio, but I have it. Don't panic. I almost panicked. Crisis averted. Crisis averted, my friend. All right. So I have the dice here. I have the cards and we're going to start call. With oh, I have I have a little a little twist this time, Kyle. I have a giant. You've probably seen these in my kids' playroom. I have these giant dice. I guess they're like it's a cube. Mm, what's how big is this? Maybe eight inches by eight inches. It's a giant foam die. So for okay. your dice, I'm just gonna roll one single die. So you have a one in six chance 
of guessing the number. Kyle, you guess the number. I'm going to roll the die, and then we'll see what comes up. All right. My my guess is four. Four. Okay. Here we go. Rolling the die. It is six. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you got the the nearest even number. <laughs> That's one way of looking at it. <laughs> Have you uh, been you've been keeping track of, the, of these numbers like we know that I, uh, that I didn't get the dice right at all. Right. Would we know? Would we have no, that kind you of data? No. You know what? I didn't keep track of it. What what you got one right last time. What was it? It wasn't. Maybe the it was. The, the maybe it was. I called snake eye or something on one. Oh, it might have been. It, it might have been the yeah. die because I don't think it was yeah. the card and I don't think it was guessing the number from my head. Right. That sounds about right. So, you know, what? and you know what? Like we mentioned a little bit last time on, on last week's show. Kyle, maybe we will continue this or a form of this game in person because, like, again, I feel a little bad because you don't have complete autonomy, like we talked about, over this because you're not drawing the card yourself, you're not rolling the dice. It's kind of like a split between my luck and your luck. So maybe when you're in person, it might help. This game might have a take on a whole different feel. You know, that's an I mean? actually that's an interesting point in the sense that does it reduce my luck by half? In other words. If you're the if you're the proxy and you have a 50 50 chance of, of, of flipping the uh, the coin, right. then do I have a 50 50 chance of does that affect my luck? I think so. Yeah, it, it yeah. would have to. Right. Either do I have a 25 percent chance of guessing it right because of that? That doesn't sound right. Well, let's see. All right. Hmm. What's the next game of chance? All right. So, Kyle, I have 10 cards. I divided them up by well, how many cards do I have? Yeah. I have eight. I have eight cards. Two of each suit. So you have a what? One in four chance of getting this correct? Now, with correct. The, they're just playing cards. We're not going to worry about the value, just the suit. So I have two hearts, two diamonds, two clubs, two spades. So you got a, a 25% chance, I guess you could say. Okay. Of getting, of getting this correct. Now, I'm going to shuffle them up. They're all out of order. They're all mixed up. Now you, t- I'm flipping the deck upside down so I can't see. You tell me how far down to go of the eight, starting with the top one is number one. You tell me which card to draw. I'll draw it, and we'll see. You guess what it's going to be. And okay. We'll see if it's that thing. You should go four cards down from the top. Four cards. And that okay. card will be a heart. Heart. Okay. I'm drawing it now. It's a diamond. <laughs> 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 well, I think that might be the first time, if I recall, I don't have the data in front of me, but I think that this might be the first time that I drew the proper color. I think I was even off by might, that, that much the other correct. two times. That right. might be correct. Maybe you're getting closer. You're getting hotter. You're warming up. You're warming up, my friend. Well, not cool. You don't want to cool off now. I'm feeling I'm not feeling hot. Let's put it that way. I'm not feeling hot. <laughs> All right. Here's what I'm going to do for the guessing the number. I'm going to guess a number. We're going to keep it really simple. We're going to go one through four. Okay. Okay. So you have another 25% chance. So I'm guessing a number from one to four. Actually, let's switch it up a little bit. I'm guessing a number from 10 through 13. You guess wow. what it is. Yeah, we'll switch it. I make okay. it exciting. All right. 10 through 13. You guess which of the four numbers that is. Let's see if you got it correct. Okay. Numbers in my head. 12. No, it was 11. <laughs> I really thought you were going to get that one. Isn't that strange? I had a, I had a feeling you were going to get that one. You know what? All that right. was very exciting, though. That was a very exciting change of pace for me. 
So I like that. Magic eight ball. What's it going to be? Well, I, I know what to ask the magic eight ball. Wait, wait, did we do? We, we didn't do the coin flip yet. Oh, the coin flip. You're absolutely correct. Thank you. At for least give me, me something Tom. here. All right. This is a 50 50 shot. I mean, Although some is... people would argue that it's not 50-50, but that's... Have that's you been reading about this at all? I haven't read about no, it. No, no. I should do the research on that, though. I'm really... If I'm not mistaken, from my youth, like remembering this from like school, my school days, I thought heads was more... For whatever reason, I don't even know what the reason is. You know, and I thought like in a coin flip, like in a sports game of some sort, like heads is primarily the thing people call more mm. often than not. But now that could be completely... That could be completely, you know, I have no evidence. You could be making, you could be making that up. You don't really know. I could be completely sure. making that up. All right. So right. here's my coin. I got a nickel. This might be the same okay. nickel as last time. All right. I'm going to flip it. I'm going to hold it. I'm not going to look until you call it. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Flip it. Flip it. In. All right. Hold on. Tails. T- All right. Tails. It is tails. Yes. You got yes. it. Yes. You got it, my friend. The way I feel right now, I think that might be the first one I've ever gotten of any of them, except for that one dice roll. So yeah, I'm, pretty, I'm feeling pretty dice. good. I'm feeling pretty content right now. You're heating up. I am. Luck be a lady tonight. <laughs> Not bad, my friend. Well, now, now, what's magic the magic eight ball? Magic yeah, we'll ask, let's see. Let's ask it how magic eight ball. What is Colin's luck going to be like once we play this game? When he's sitting here in the studio in Pennsylvania. Okay. Shaking it up. This thing is weird. This thing doesn't work all the time. Okay. I'm flipping it. Come on. Flipping it to the top. Ask again later, it says. (laughs) 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 All right. You know what? That's fine, Magic 8 Ball. We're going to ask when we kick off the game next time, when we kick off the luck segment, do you feel lucky punk segment? We're going to ask it to kick it off and then we'll see. How it's going to, you know, maybe that'll give us a barometer of how it's going to go for wave nine. So that's it, Kyle. Not bad. You didn't do too bad, my friend. Not too bad. Well, that's not. I could have done better, but it was. uh, (laughs) I feel a little bit better about, you know, my prospects tomorrow now that the Magic 8-Ball is giving me a little bit of hope, you know, not not stripping it from me immediately. Dig, I really do hope, though, that I really wish that you were just making all of this up. Like, that would be. (laughs) Dude, no cards, no dice, no magic eight ball, no coin, you know, it's like it's you were literally just dead ass sitting there not doing any of that. Dude, that would be that amazing. would be that, fucking awesome. I wish that that, that I was mean, true. I, would, I wish I was smart enough to actually think of that. <laughs> I wish you were like video recording yourself doing it or something and then showing it, showing it later. So it would be like the actual recording. And once it went live, you would show everyone that you were actually fucking me, like fucking Dude, me that around. Would have been. That would have been an amazing idea. Seriously, that would have been hilarious. <laughs> I the think, magic by the way, I just said that you were fucking me, but that's, that sounds really horrifying. <laughs> I meant fucking me over. <laughs> Holy moly. Now, all right, so I, th- well, I didn't do that well on the luck game. I accidentally outed myself as not having called mom back yet, so <laughs> we might as well get right, and we realized that Uncle Mike is not, you know, f- going for felonious manslaughter or something like that uh, against these well, children that was across a the street. That's a positive. That's a positive. That's a positive. Right. That's a positive. Well, does it make the story? I don't know that it makes the story better, but it makes Uncle Mike look look better. better. So it's not good for the story, but it's good for Uncle Mike. So yeah, you know, you're right. Yeah, it makes the story up. less funny. Yeah, but we saved Uncle Mike's reputation. Yeah, that's which is which is the most important thing. We took one for the team. Now. 
Dagan, let's get into the topic at hand. I really oh, feel yeah. like this is going to be a topic very similar to the anime topic back in the day, very similar to the skateboarding topic, very similar to a lot of others where uh, you're going to regale us. And I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, hearing your stories. Now, when you came up with this this notion of, a, of childhood adventures and stuff like that, you called it something specifically, right? You called it uh, Be Home by Dinner, right? That's how you... Yes, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Right. When you were emailing back and forth, you called it like Be Home from Dinner, Be Home by Dinner, you know, childhood, you know, adventures or whatever. So is that kind of where you, where you got the idea was like this, these after school kind of misadventures? Like what was the inspiration for this? Yeah. You know what, Kyle? That's a, that's a really great question. I think the, the inspiration for that was that, you know, when you're a kid, that whole vibe that, you know, that whole, not, not just in the summertime, but all times of year, but especially in the summertime, I guess, you know, that whole vibe of independence, playing with your friends, never wanting it to end and sort of like the bell and the end of that being like being called in for dinner. You know, that was like the, that was like the most dreadful thing. Like six o'clock rolled around, you hear your mom calling. It's like, even if it was only going to be, you know, a half hour and then you could go back outside if it wasn't a school night or something like that, you know, it was like, that was like the death knell, you know, of like all the fun that you were having. So yeah, it was everything. It just reminded me of that whole, you know, those long days, spending time with your friends, you know, everybody's house inside and out, you know, exploration. And that, and you know, what's funny about it too, Kyle, like I have stories probably from every different age, starting from pretty young, like four or five, all the way through, you know, my teen years. And it never really that that feeling of fun never really changes. It's just the things you do, you know, mature as you mature. But you know that that sense of fun is kind of like carried out throughout. It's the same. It's threaded throughout. So that's what I like about that. And you know, just being home by dinner, you know, seemed like the appropriate way, way to label it, especially when you were little, because that was like that was literally the worst thing. You know, it was what get, getting called in for dinner just put. You know, it put it put the day to, to bed. You know, it was like, oh, I'm not ready for the fun to end. You know, although it would start again the next day or even after dinner in the summertime, you know. But that was always that was always like a fond memory for me, you know, looking back. And yeah, yeah we that's... could start it out, you know, at any at any point, really. I mean, I, I basically wrote down a bunch of a bunch of things. You know, I have to try. We, You know, you and I tell so many stories on the show just in general. I want to make sure I didn't repeat myself. I have a lot of favorite stories that I've already told, like the, you know, you know, the horrifying experience of Gruchy fireworks blowing up and like that being such a memorable, albeit horrifying story. And, you know, like TIE fighter snowball. I don't want to repeat any story. So I made sure I had some, you know, fresh ones to tell. And yeah, you know, hopefully you guys think they're fun and funny and entertaining, you know, and hopefully they kick up some memories for everybody listening too, because, you know, we all have these crazy memories you know, of, of growing up and the things we did. And, you know, it's so funny too. Some of it seems like it was yesterday. It's the, some of the memories are so vivid, even though, you know, you're talking about 20, 30 years ago, you know, and in my case, yeah, it's 35, 40 years ago. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, like, don't, don't undershoot yourself there, Day. <laughs> now it's funny because that, that, that feeling that you describe is actually very familiar. It's something like deep within you, that feeling of, well, I guess they call it FOMO, right? The fear of missing out. Yes. Like the as as people would peel off of an activity, like I remember being so, you know, as the wiffle ball game would whittle down to like two players or whatever the case might be or the hockey game, you know, the street hockey game or the, you know, hide and go, you know, not hide and go seek, but 
uh, manhunt or whatever. That's such a familiar feeling of like not wanting to be withdraw, not withdraw from the fun. But like it's in, in thinking back on it, a lot of it was just so mundane anyway. It was like the shit we always did. Right. Like, oh, you know, okay. so like so like you said, it, it, it was like this ephemeral thing that was just restarted and then restarted the next day anyway. But I was going to ask you about six o'clock. You had brought that up. We did eat dinner at six, right? Like, yeah, that was a thing we did right at six o'clock or so. It was never. Yeah, it never seemed like it was too late. Like I, I really like to eat dinner late. My son, my youngest, really likes to eat dinner late, too. It's just the way he's kind of wired. But yeah, like for some reason, maybe even earlier. If dad was home, maybe it was even like between five and six, but I would say six, six o'clock was probably the mean average. You know, we never, we were never one of those families that ate late. You know, maybe in the summertime, if we were grilling or barbecuing out on the deck or something, it would be a little later, you know, once we had the pool in the, you know, in the second house and stuff like that. But yeah, I think mostly that was about right, about six o'clock. You remember the same thing? Yeah, that I mean, I don't know if that that time feels so familiar because that's just considered dinner time. But yeah, I feel like I remember your yeah, mom having dinner ready around six. But I'm with you. I like to eat. I eat really late sometimes. Like I, I don't eat dinner. I haven't eaten at all. Well, f- to give put it in the context, it's what we're recording. It's almost seven my time. So it's 10 year yeah. time. I haven't eaten at all. I haven't eaten since like sometime last night. Wow. And I feel perfectly and I feel perfectly fine. You know, yeah, so. you eat late. You like to eat late too. You're like me too. Yeah, we we're we're a peas, you know, peas two peas in a pod when it comes to that, for sure. So, all right, so yeah, let's take it wherever you want to begin. I don't know if you have what, what do you have like a do you have like a bullet list of stories that you want to tell? Do you want to jump into any specific one first, or you want to go chronologically? Yeah, I could try to go. You know, it might be funny. It might be kind of funny to go chronologically, but you know, my first story is kind of horrifying. But it it's such a it visually from a visual perspective like seeing the images in my mind's eye this is probably one of my most vivid memories and it's funny because I couldn't have been any older than seven and I don't think I was that old I might have been five six or seven but I'm not too sure so we could go I just have little titles for each one and then I have honorable mentions if we have time at the end but I have like seven or eight six seven or eight of you know ones that I thought would be funny to tell but this one Kyle and I don't know if you have any experiences with this. I don't know if I have ever really told anybody about this, but I'll tell it. I'll tell it briefly. So we had cousins growing up that I don't believe you ever really got to know. And they were our Aunt Maureen and Uncle Hal's kids, our cousins, Christopher and Lisa. Now, Lisa, Chris, Chris and Lisa were, we were very close to them when I was young. I mean, when I was very young and Chris was probably, if I'm not mistaken, see, this is why I need mom. But if I'm not mistaken, Chris was like three years older than me. And Lisa was his older sister, our cousin Lisa. She was probably six or seven years older than me, at least. So now they lived in Connecticut. So where did they live in Connecticut? If I could think of the town, I'll I'll say it. But so they lived in Connecticut, not too far away. And they would come and visit. And, you know, mom and dad were very tight with Aunt Maureen and Uncle Hal, Aunt Maureen being dad's sister and Uncle Hal being dad's brother-in-law. In fact, Uncle Hal and dad were in business together when they briefly owned a produce shop in Garden City on Long Island. And so they were very close. So we saw them a lot. So Chris and Lisa would come and visit us and they would, you know, we play in the backyard and this is when we had our house in Medford which is the house that mom and dad moved into when we, you know, in 1977. So I must've been five or six or seven. It was the first time I ever witnessed anything like this. So 
Chris, who I loved as a kid, he was a he was a rascal to say the least. Like he was always he was just always getting into trouble. Where he was getting into trouble with his mom. He was just he was just a mischievous kid, and he was always giving his older sister a hard time. So I don't know if it's ever come up in the podcast before, Kyle. I can't remember, but for for whatever reason, throwing rocks as a kid was a thing. Like I would be horrified <laughs> if my kids were wrapped up in this, but like we would have full on rock fights with like kids that lived behind us that we didn't really know that well that I think I talked about on the podcast briefly that we called the bad ones right so the kids the kids on the other block they might you know when you're a kid it's like a that the, the next block behind you is like a it's like a whole nother universe you know we don't really know them that well you know we're barely of school age probably in kindergarten or first grade so we don't even have a chance to really get to know each other yet so these are like just little contemporaries that you don't really know living behind you, they automatically become enemies. You have a rock fight. I don't know. I don't know why this was a thing, but this is what we did. <laughs> so I remember having like full on rock fights, you know, and now we, I should say like we had a sandbox in the house in Medford that was full of rocks because I think eventually what had happened was dad, it, the sandbox was, was full of sand, but because cats, stray cats would come and like poop in the sandbox. Dad kind of had it with that. So he filled it with rocks so there was tons of rocks in the sandbox. It was a huge sandbox. I mean, there was a swing set in it. So, you know, you think about it. So we had this, we had this like, you know, infinite supply of rocks, basically, which probably half of them ended up in the backyard of the bad ones houses. But so <laughs> I guess Chris and Lisa got involved in some kind of rock fight back there. And Chris thought it would be hilarious to throw a rock at his sister and now I didn't see it. I was in the kitchen with the adults and they were outside and we just heard screaming. So this is horrifying. So yeah, Lisa isn't that comes always the worst, by the way, when you hear just like some commotion. You know? Oh, my God. It's like <laughs> and you don't see it yet. You just hear it. So we just I remember hearing Lisa scream. She comes in, dude, her head looked like a cherry dipped ice cream cone. It looked like a fucking horror movie. And like I was like, I mean, it looked like Carrie. You know, like the end, of, like her head was dripping blood in a full circumference around her head, like de- like gushing blood. So what happened was, I didn't know about this. I was like five, six, seven years old. Chris threw a rock at her and, you know, it's like when you split your skull, like split the skin on your skull and, it, you know, like your skin splits open there. I guess it's all taut and it bleeds a lot, but I never knew that. You know what I mean? I never yeah. saw anyone do that. So he he Holy nailed shit. his sister in the forehead with a rock and just dude she was freaking she was leaking. I mean it looked like a fucking Vietnam movie. And I was just like what like I remember just thinking like what is is she dying right? Like why is this person di- we were just having fun is she dying right now? Like her head it just looked like go watch a clip of Carrie the end of Carrie. That's what it looked like. <laughs> and I think it's one of those injuries I'm assuming it's one of those injuries where it looks a lot worse than it really is. You know, I don't think it's it's probably not even that painful. It's just that your skin, I'm assuming that your skin is so taut around your skull that when it splits, it's like all the blood vessels there and everything. I started, I'll admit to starting to research this on Google and I'm very squeamish. So I had to stop within like a minute. I was like, all right, no, that's enough. I can't do this. Yeah, right I don't now. like, I don't like real world gore either. I don't oh, like it. It's hard. Yeah, I don't like it. was it. horrifying. I have a pretty good thre- I have a pretty high threshold for it digitally or in movies, but not real life. Okay. All right. So that's interesting. See, I don't like it either way. I, I just can't deal with it. You know, 
which I've explained before. My, you know, my friend PJ, you know, he goes to great lengths to show me the goriest shit and show me it's something else, you know, like look at this cute puppy or look at this cool skateboard trick or whatever. And then it's just like the, the most horrifying horror scene from a movie <laughs> like gore. You know, it's like he's done to me so many times in my life. <laughs> Violent like, shit, I think, was his favorite. Uh, his favorite series wasn't that like some European <laughs> series oh that he God. would like import. He's. I mean, how far? How different can we be in that respect from a, for a being best friends? It's crazy, right? So that is my. That is my. Now, now, Kyle, have you ever like we grew apart from them? Right. You know, over the years, as people do. I don't think it was any for any real reason. Did you ever even meet Lisa and Chris? Yeah, so I all right, so I don't know that I, I must have met the met Chris at some point, but I don't remember him. Lisa I did meet because I, I have a very vivid memory of going up to the to their I guess when they lived in it might have been in Connecticut, but I thought they lived in upstate New York at some point. Is yeah, that true? They did. They did move up there eventually. Yeah. Okay. You're right. So we went up there. The reason that I remember this trip, it was probably like ninety one, ninety two. I was probably like seven, maybe. Okay. The, I went up there with them and I have like actually a few vivid memories of that trip. Because number one, it was the first time I ever shot a gun. Oh, I, uh, shit. Yeah, like Uncle Hal, I, I was like shooting shotguns with him, and I was shooting skeet, and I hit the first two. I remember that very clearly. No, uh, way. I That's remember. Cool. I remember going to hold the gun like a GI Joe. Like you know how you would tuck uh, the like the gun underneath them so that it, like, they they look cool when they were holding the gun, like oh, they were yeah, shooting yeah. It from their hip. Of course, you know. Like I remember them being like, "No one shoots a gun like that you fucking destroy yourself." And I remember. Uh, <laughs> And I remember the, like them putting like dad, like basically holding me straight up, like with his hand on my shoulder as I shot the gun. Um, oh, you he was holding you while you shot. Yeah, because I'm so small. You know? Oh, my God. That's hilarious. And uh, I also remember going to Red Lobster for the first time during that trip. And okay, nice. I remember playing uh, the reason that Lisa comes up is because she, you know, she lived there, I guess. I don't know if she was there at the time. I think she was. But she, she in her was, bedroom, she had an any she had an NES. And uh, I, so I remember playing like. My, that was my first exposure to Paperboy was uh, at their house. That's a funny memory. That's cool. Yeah. So that's like a random memory. So, yeah, I, I, I remember at least that situation. And, and Lisa was there, but I don't remember them otherwise. Now, you were saying that that Chris was kind of like a, a you know rabble rouser, you, you, but you were you weren't. So you were kind of like yin and yang or something or. Yeah. Like, you know what? I always remember having fun with him. Now, I have to say, I ha- if you saw them in 91, you probably saw them more recently than I saw them because I literally grew up with them, you know, when when mom and dad were really thick with them or maybe before they moved up to New York, uh, upstate New York, and they got further away or whatever it was. I mean, I was probably hanging out with them from when I was four to when maybe I was like nine. So that was like, and when, when we would see each other at family functions, whether it was at Pop, Poppy's house, our grandfather Poppy's house, or whether they came out east to our house, or even when we go, to, I, I, I remember going up to Connecticut. Oh, they lived in Darien, I think, Connecticut, which is not too far up north, not too far north. They, you know, I remember hanging out with him, but he was, a, I always looked up to him because he was a few years older. He's the one who got me into Kiss, I believe, the band Kiss. We were both really into Kiss. And we always, and he was into Star Wars. We just we were always really had fun together. I think, you know, we were at an age where you didn't even realize there was like behavioral differences or anything like that. You know what I mean? Like one kid was well behaved and one kid wasn't. It didn't matter. If he, was, if he wasn't behaving, it was entertaining for me at that age anyway. You know, it was like, right. oh, well, I was probably living vicariously through him. I remember one thing that he did actually. He, Mom and dad had this dining room table. Somebody still has it. I think mom still has it. It was like a really gorgeous 
I don't know if it was like a black walnut dining room table that they had like lacquered and everything like that. Supposedly it was like a really expensive table. Like in the seventies, this dining room table cost like $3,500, just the table, like that type of thing, which is expensive for back then. And it was like their prized piece of furniture and Chris, and it was in their dining room, which we, the only time we ever did anything in the dining room was when we served, when mom and dad served dinner on like special occasions, which was like, Maybe birthdays, but usually like Christmas, Easter, Christmas, Easter, and maybe like New Year's, that type of thing. So it was like a room that was used like six times a year, maybe. So he threw a bristle block. Remember those things? Yeah. They're like the plat. He threw a bristle block and it landed on the table and it dented the table. And mom and dad were like furious. Like they were just, I mean, they weren't showing him that they were furious, but like they were so heartbroken because he threw this bristle block in the dining room, which is like this forbidden place to be. Like what was he even doing in the dining room type of thing? Right, right. I do remember that. But no, I I, I always loved him. And I, I probably honestly haven't seen him since we were like maybe nine or 10, like I said, but you know, we spent what so much happened? time. What happened? I mean, I don't understand kids. because what happened there know. though? Because uh, I guess everyone just grew up and went away. Or whatever. Yeah, I think, you know, I think it was, you know, a case again, you know, you and I talk about this, we refer to this sometimes on the show, like we, you know, we weren't as close to dad's side of the family just in general, like we saw them a little less, like we spent time with them on holidays and occasions and birthdays and things, but we were just much closer to mom's side of the family, we just spent much more time with mom's side of the family for whatever reason, I guess everybody has that dynamic, you know, you're very lucky if you could, if you have both, I think, you know, like my kids do have both, my kids are physically far away from my side of the family, but there's still a closeness, you know, so I'm very lucky that way, you know, whereas Helene's parents are very close by, you know, they live close, so they're close physically and they're close to them. But yeah, I don't think anything specifically happened. I think maybe, you know, you reminded me too, you know, they moved upstate and I don't think there was any kind of falling out or anything like that. I think, you know, cause I think mom, mom and dad always loved uh, Aunt Maureen and Uncle Hal, but I think, I just think it was just like one of those things. You know, I, you know, it might've been a thing too. Mom could speak to this more where Chris just was just like a troubled kid. Maybe he, you know, he had some trouble. He got into some trouble as a teenager, you know, maybe some juvenile predicaments, you know, whatever he got into. I'm not too sure that rings a bell, but I don't want to say too much cause I don't know for sure. But I, I loved right. him as a kid. I just, I just dug him so much. I thought he was like the coolest thing. And he was the, probably the closest, pro- you know, all my friends were either my age or a year younger you know, where he he was exotic because he was three, four years older than me. So, yeah, so that was, but that particular story of seeing Lisa like that was just like, oh, I'll never forget it. I know exactly where, you know, she came in through the, you know, in that house, through the back door, through the laundry room into the kitchen. I was standing in the kitchen with the adults and just watching how, you know, the adults reacted, which was pretty calm, I have to say. You know, they were pretty cool. Yeah, the adults have to stay cool, right? That's like the thing. Oh, it's important, dude. It's really important because kids look for that, you know? I got to, yeah, I got to say because I've never been in, I don't know that I've ever been in like an incredibly serious situation, like as an adult, but, you know, our nephew Declan has some allergies and when he was on the island once, back in 2015 probably I was there. Yeah. And he thought his like, uh, I don't know what was going on, but he was basically, they had to stab him with the... EpiPen. Oh, he ate a cookie. Yeah, he ate yeah, a cookie, he ate a cookie with... of some sort or whatever. And uh, I remember Dana and Derek being, you know, it's a scary situation for a parent. I remember Dana and Derek being very calm and me being calm in that moment, too, because Dana was like, just take the boys somewhere. And I was like, OK, and just took them outside or upstairs or something. So, right, right. It is weird like that something scary. I guess everyone kind of snaps into their uh, 
into their role, as it were, in that uh, situation. So it's interesting. Yeah, into your you know? parent mode. But everybody has different personalities. I know parents that freak out. You know what I mean? But it's important because I remember mom and dad being very stoic. Like they had a great poker face, even when things were bad. And I always, it always comforted me, you know, because you look to, you look to, you know, your elders for comfort in a situation to see how worried you should be. (laughs) So it's like when they weren't freaking out, that made you feel better, you know? So that's really important. I hope I, you know, I hope I'm like that for my kids. I don't know how, I, I don't think I'm as cool as mom and dad are though. I mean, they were just really cool. Either mom and dad were really cool or they didn't give a shit. I mean, yeah. either way, it worked. <laughs> you know. <laughs> a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, perhaps. Uh, all right, Dave, let's uh, move on to the next uh, story that you have on your list. All right. So I'm going to talk about this. Is a, Let's see. Where should I go from here? All right. This is, this is a really brief one. So when I was in high school, you know, I've mentioned on the podcast before my best friend, one of my best friends in the world growing up, my friend John, who we lived on the same block on Long Island in Medford as kids. He had a couple of cousins who lived, I guess, you know, where Smith Haven Mall is around the middle of Long Island column, like around the Selden area. So like 20 miles away from where we grew up, maybe 15, 20 miles away. Right. And when we were in high school, probably late in junior high school, early Late in junior high school, early in high school, I would say, we, you know, that's when we started to go to the mall. And of course, the biggest mall, Smith Haven Mall, was pretty far from us. It was about 20 miles, like I said, but it was really close to where his cousins lived. So it was an opportunity for John and I to hang out with his cousins, Joe and Steve, and we would meet up at the mall and hang out. You know, we would go, you know, go to the food court you know, scope on the babes, you know, whatever we did, go to like all the cheesy stores at that time, limited and all that kind of stuff, you know, maybe hop in the video game store, clowning around in the toy store, whatever. So we'd have a great time at the mall and we'd always meet Joe and Steve there. And it was actually kind of cool because John was always really close with his cousins and I never really got an opportunity to know them until we started doing that. So that was kind of neat. But dude, they had some friends, especially probably like ninth and 10th grade. I remember being like going up to the mall, probably John got his permit for driving right away. So he was probably driving at like 16. So when we started going up to the mall on the weekends, Joe and Steve were pretty cool, but they hung out with some really thuggish kids. And I just remember going and meeting them at the mall. And here's Joe and Steve who were cool, but their friends would constantly like they would just basically what they did was they basically went around the mall looking for fights. Like I don't even know how else to describe it. And it wasn't the type of thing where it's like, oh, all right, you're just being a kid and you're kind of getting into scrapes or you're just wising off to each other, or whatever. They would get into full on brawls. And I remember <laughs> dude, it was fucking horrifying. It was horrifying. You think of me like I'm this like little 80 pound kid like doesn't know anything about fighting has never been in a fight just wants to go and like basically look at video games you know what i mean and eat at the food right. court you know and go have your panda express yeah it was terrifying i mean i remember being like pulling up to the parking lot sometimes like meeting them in the parking lot and being like let's just go in like one day we got there i remember it was a friday night and there was this one kid, I don't remember what his name was, but I remember what exactly what he looked like. And it was weird because he didn't look, you know, he didn't look like a super tough or buff dude necessarily. Like you wouldn't take him for this, but 
he was like the angriest kid who he just had a bloodlust. Like he went to the mall just looking to murder somebody. Like it was it was insane. Like <laughs> I remember lust. being like I remember being in the arcade playing Final Fight and then coming out and being like this is fucking Final Fight in the parking lot. Like they would be fighting <laughs> with like garbage cans and pipes and bats and shit like that. One day we got there and apparently they had just gotten to a brawl with a bunch of kids and this dude, Steve and Joe's friend broke some dude's leg like we just missed it they were like yeah they just got the ambulance got to come out of here he broke his leg in like three places fucking ass <laughs> like like I was, it was the most terrifying thing i i remember like it going from like the mall being like the happiest most joyous place to the most horrifying thing like what is gonna happen to me this weekend at the mall like am i gonna get dragged into one of these melees with like kids i don't even know and it was like the type of thing where john he he wasn't like necessarily into like he didn't want to necessarily get involved in it but he also didn't shy away from it and i didn't want to look like a pussy by saying let's not go to the mall so i would just go like i, w- I remember going out in the car like heading out like all right in 25 minutes i might be killed like that, that <laughs> might, this might be the end of it <laughs> like this might serious it was like and it was like the weirdest thing it was like 15 miles from our house but it was like thunderdome it was like what Thunderdome are we entering tonight like it was just like why are these kids doing this well I was gonna ask you how did you avoid how did you avoid like you were were you were you always late to the fracas or like it was always happening in other words that is always the awkward thing when shit's happening and you're like what do I what is my part in this am I supposed to partake in this Right. And I, I do I walk away I, my, st- my instinct would be like I don't want anything to do with this but um, right of course I would just always hope that I would just always hope I John was sort of my sort of my link to that group through his cousin. So I would always hope that I could just do what he does and what he would do is just be going to the mall, let's eat, let's look to meet some girls or whatever. You know what I mean? Type of thing as we got a little older, let's try to get a phone number or you know what I mean, let's go check out the video games because he was really into turbo graphics. So you know, he had that side of him too. So I would just always hope that side prevailed, but he really liked his cousins too. And John was also, I have to say, John was also a really tough kid. You know, he, he wasn't a fighter. He was a peaceful dude, but like he was working out. He bench, he was bench pressing from the time he was probably in seventh grade. He, he would work out every day. Like he was into that. So he was a tough dude and could hold his own also. So I almost felt bad that he would be saddled with me he was like, let's go look at the Nintendo game. Can we just go look at the <laughs> Nintendo games and go have, like you said, let's go have Panda Express and go to Babbage's and stuff like that. So, but I just remember being so, like, it just turned on a dime. You know, the mall was like one of the best places. Like we looked forward to going every weekend to being like, holy shit. Just hoping like th- those guys wouldn't be around. And they, li- that's literally what it was. They, they would literally just pick fights with strangers. You know, kids from other school district. You know, as you know, the melting pot, of you know any suburb is the mall you know that's where you go to meet people your age that aren't in your school you know we've talked about it on the podcast before and that was the cool thing about the mall and discovering the mall you know and i feel bad that kids don't have it to that degree now where they have this tangible place that they could just go and chill and you know it still exists to some degree but not to the same degree but i you know i do remember that one night where that one dude broke somebody's leg and i was just like dude what is happening here you know i remember one time Kyle, i don't know if i ever told you this one time, a group of friends, I was probably just out of high school, and me and a group of friends got into it with another kid and a group of friends out in Nassau County. 
a group of skateboarders that didn't like us and we didn't like them. And for whatever reason, it was for no reason. It was literally for no reason. And I actually know some of the kids today and they're cool dudes, but for some reason we didn't like each other and we were going to go fight one night and I was probably like 19. And I remember dad was in the backyard. I remember saying goodbye to him and I had a baseball bat in my hand and I didn't tell him where we were going or anything like that. I just said, dad, we're going to skate. You know, he knew we went to Massapequa a lot to go skate, but he didn't know exactly what was going on that night. And I was probably with whoever, the usual suspects who I was, you know, Matt, PJ, Adam, whoever I was with. And he was like, all right. And I walked by him. I just had a bat in my hand. He didn't, had no idea what was going on. And he grabbed, as I walked by, he grabbed the bat out of my hand as I kept going. And he was like, you're not going, he, he's like, you could go, but you're not going with this. Like, in other words, he knew I was going to get in a fight, but he didn't want me to bring the baseball bat. Right. Smart. <laughs> so he, so he, and, and that's all he said. He didn't say, don't go, you know, he probably over, you know, we were probably talking so loud about everything. You know what I mean? He knew exactly what was going on. But he was like, you're not, you, you could, you're not going to use this. So that was the craziest memory. Like, because he didn't tell me not to go fight. He didn't tell me when to be home. He just told me you're not going with this. I, that, that reminds me of that story. And actually that night was crazy because those kids, we went to skate and those kids did show up and I, it was like down to like me and one other dude. And then they showed up with like nine guys and they chased me down and threw bottles at my car and stuff like that. Like we could have like easily got the shit kicked out of us that night. But I don't know what we were thinking because we went in like three cars, but everybody left. You know, it was like me and one dude, you know, and then they all showed up. We were in their town, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was like, <laughs> I remember, I remember having my car in first gear and trying to get out of the parking lot as they chased it. And I was still in first gear. So the car was revving, but I had to pop it in the second gear, but I wasn't thinking. And my, my friend reached over and popped the car in the second gear for me. So I could go because it wasn't going anywhere. <laughs> God, dude. So crazy. Like those those type of memories. But you know, yeah, what, so. you know what makes me laugh about that kind of stuff too, Dave? Specifically the stuff about the mall, like these yeah. kids, like the, these are seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth graders, is like I'm a thirty-four-year-old man now. And I, I would see I'd be like, what what is what is going on here? You know? Like if you would imagine seeing like a fracas like that as an adult or as like a man. No, of like exactly. these, these kids and it's the same, you know, it reminds me too of like just I guess how we mature and like how, I guess how most of us, I think most wise people like kind of shy away from awkward situations and confrontations. It reminds me of when we were at the diner, uh, you and I in your hometown with those drunk guys that were like giving the waitress a hard time. Oh, right. And you, that wasn't and that you and I kind of had like looked at each other like, are we going to not that it would be a fight, but it was going to be like, are we going to is like something going to happen, you know, right. where like. This is going to escalate in some fucking weird way that I have to get involved. Thankfully, nothing did happen. And I think that that waitress was really, you know, egging them on a little bit, too, which was weird. Like, it was this weird, like, awkward ass situation. Like, why are you even waiting on this table at all? You know, you're absolutely right. So but uh, nonetheless, I uh, that's the waitress, by the way, that doesn't know who we are. Exactly. I was just going to say that that's the same waitress that, you know, we're going to test her again, Kyle. We have to see if she remembers us this time. She's probably my beard is huge now, too. So she probably is definitely not going to recognize me. Yeah, yeah. that's not going to help. She I look like I'm, I look bored. I look borderline homeless at this point, <laughs> like depending on the it. day. Like I look at myself in the mirror sometimes and I'm like, I don't. I don't know. You're going to keep you know, rolling with it. You're going to keep going with that thing. Yeah, I'm kind of uh, it's getting it's really long, dude. 
Like, and like uh, it. it's never it's never been remotely like half this long. And uh, <laughs> and I, so I went. It's like, you know, my hair's curly, just like you're like we have curly hair, which a lot of people don't know because we shave it, you know, down it. My hair would be like, you know, my my hair turns into a Jewish afro, basically. Oh, and, me too. Uh, there, Same thing. And there's actually, dude, I was, I think you and I were talking about this. There are proper pictures of me with my Afro in college at Declan's fucking baptism. Like that's oh, why his baptism. There, there are real pictures of me with that Afro at that baptism. Okay, so, so we have to track those pictures down ASAPish because in, in college, for people that don't know, I didn't cut my hair for like a year and well, probably more than that. Actually, it was outrageous. Yeah. And, um, so anyway, uh, my beard is uh, is really long. And so I went and got it's getting out of control and the curliness and stuff. So it doesn't really drape. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It just kind of like it kind of <laughs> like I look like Rasputin or some shit. So <laughs> so uh, I actually went online and bought this uh, beeswax beeswax based like this pretty expensive shit okay. um, from Spain. I didn't even know it was from Spain or I probably wouldn't have bought it because that's probably why it was so fucking expensive. España. Um, España. <laughs> and uh and so uh, I got the stuff and I, I used it yesterday and it works, but it makes me my it basically feels like I have like a uh, hairspray on my face almost, you know, but now what um, does it do? Does it soften it? Yeah, no, it keeps it down. So it doesn't okay. I should be yeah, more. So I condition I have a I have a beard wash and conditioner that I use every day now that I've used for a few months. And uh, that's so that's making it, I think, puffier because it's like the hair is healthier. Uh, so this stuff kind of like keeps <laughs> it down and straightens it. So you can actually like it's funny because my beard actually looks really full and really good when I wear it. But it's like so it looks like I, it feels like I have stone on my face or something like that. So I got to kind of get used to it. But I think I think it's getting a little too long for Aaron as well. Ah, uh, well, that's always a bet. That's always a detriment either when when the when the lady doesn't like it. But. Sometimes you just got to roll with it regardless. I'm not, there's nothing I, I, against Erin. Yeah. Helene's the same thing. She hates when I have a beard, but I like when I have a beard. Yeah, me you too. Know? I like your beard as well. Yeah. And I was going to say, it's good that I'm not seeing Helene this time when I come to your place, because like, I don't know how she would deal with this situation because she, <laughs> because when I had like, you know, usually my beard is like pretty is kept. I haven't, I've had a beard since 2014, but it's typically kept somewhat close to my face. No, no one in the family has seen anything like what's going on right now. You know, it's pretty. So. It's, you put a picture on Instagram last week, I think, right? Yeah, I think of so. the beard. Yeah. I think. I think. It, I, I say. I think it looks good. Now, do you comb it? Uh, I comb it in the shower okay. when I condition it, but I don't All comb right. it otherwise. No, I probably should because I don't know. It's like a woman's hair, right? How she's always combing and she takes good care of it. I guess my beard is probably all frazzled and stuff too because I don't really take very good care of it. I mean, yeah, why, why would healthy. why would it treat me well if I wasn't treating it well? Yeah. <laughs> All right, Dagan, uh, next story on your list. All right, so I have to talk about this one, Kyle. I've probably mentioned this to you before. So, again, you know, being the crazy teenager, you know, let me remind you guys, this is the teenager that buried the rental VHS tape in the backyard because I was afraid that the late charges would, the late charges got so out of hand that I just thought instead of paying for it, I would just bury it in the backyard. This is the same teenager that had this idea, and that was... To now let me preface this by saying we grew up on Long Island. Now, off the coast, I believe, the North Fork of Long Island, all the way out east, there's a little island called Plum Island. And it's this legendary, it's basically an animal research center. So let me explain to you what Plum Island is. I have I have the website up here. I have the best description of what Plum Island is. So 
Plum Island is an island about 800 acres in size and located two miles off the easternmost end of Long Island and nine miles across Long Island Sound from Connecticut. The entire island is owned by the USDA and is dedicated to the study of foreign animal diseases with both a research component, agricultural research service, and a diagnostic regulatory component animal and plant health inspection service. Okay. So this is basically an island, a little tiny island off the coast of Long Island that's owned by the government where they conduct animal research. Okay. So we always heard about it growing up as this horrifying place where there's mutated animals crawling around and all kinds of like eight legged deer with nine eyes and weaponized mammals that the army is, you know, creating to fight Russia and all this kind of stuff. We always heard all this stuff about Plum Island. So as a 13 year old, I thought it would be really great to form a little expedition by canoe (laughs) (laughs) to get to Plum Island Animal Research Center. So let me, let me circle this for you guys. So when I was 13, we moved to Brookhaven Hamlet, which was on the, you know, the great South Bay, I guess that is right, Kyle. On the south, yes, southern, the coast south of, southern coast of Long Island. And we lived about, about a block away from the bay. So we lived on the south shore of Long Island. This, and about the, about, in about the center of the island. So about 100 miles, I guess about 180, 100 miles east is the tip of the north fork of Long Island. And then nine <laughs> miles off the coast of that is this tiny island. So we were going to go by canoe, for, which is, a, it's, if, it's 100 miles if it's a foot. Just like the Ronkonkoma would. <laughs> <laughs> so we were going to go as a 13 years old. As a 13 year old, I was, we were, and me and my friends in the area were, were, you know, we were going to gear up. We were going to take a day trip by canoe to get to the, to get to Plum Island to see, you know, maybe land on the beach there and take a look around, take some pictures, reconnoiter. <laughs> <laughs> Re- reconnaissance mission. I don't know what I don't know what the hell we were thinking, but we talked about doing this literally for three or four years. So we were sixteen or seventeen, still thinking about doing this. And like the plans never escalated to like motorboat, you know, speedboat. Um, go off the. We had friends on the North Shore. Maybe go off the North Shore. Like nothing. Like just it. It was like always the worst plan. Like we're gonna go all the way around Long Island from the bottom to the top and try to get to Plum Island and explore this place. But you know what's so funny about it? Besides it being protected, so I did a little research call for Plum Island now because I I really am fascinated by it. And there's not, still to this day, there's not that much information about it. But it's the home of the Plum Island Animal Disease Center, which we talked about, which was established by the USDA in 1954. So this goes all the way back to post-World War II-ish era. And... It's owned right now by the Department of Homeland. It's actually owned by the United States government, but it's controlled and protected by the Department of Homeland Security. Okay. And a lot of the stuff they do there still is live livestock disease study, you know, for, you know, I guess what you would call ingestible, you know, meats like duck, cow, you know, cattle, chicken, poultry, all that kind of stuff. And apparently, although there's not that much information about it, apparently Lyme's disease might have been created there, you know, which is a big, a big conspiracy thing. But apparently it was either, you know, 
advertently or inadvertently, Lyme's disease was created on this island, which is pretty horrifying. Well, and, and that's and that's inc- and that's incredibly relevant because the disease obviously first took root in Connecticut nearby. So, oh, is that right? Lyme, Connecticut, is where Lyme's disease got its name. Oh, see, I didn't know that. I didn't even know yeah. that. So, yeah. and that so that does make sense. Connecticut only being like nine miles or so away. And now I also in my research, this is crazy. You guys could go look at this. Apparently, I think it was around 2004, if I'm not mistaken, this crazy thing washed up on the beach in Montauk, which is not that far from Plum Island. And they call it the Montauk Monster. Go check this thing out. It's this giant, if it's not a hoax, it's this giant, and supposedly it's not, this giant half raccoon, half turtle mutant thing. It looks like a giant raccoon, half raccoon with like flippers. And some people just walking along the beach on Montauk found it. And supposedly that washed over from Plum Plum Island. It's pretty (laughs) horrifying. They found like the jaw of this thing and other parts of it. So that was always, that's always a funny story for me to look back on because we were really serious about, you know, embarking on, you know, I don't think we ever even looked at a map. You know, we just knew, hey, it's it's off the coast of Long Island. Like we must be able to get to it somehow. You know, we're going to go uncover the mysteries of Plum Island. (laughs) Yeah, you probably would have gotten shot first of all when you if you ever even I know got what anywhere the near thinking? there. I, can you imagine? But, it was like I mean, PJ's sh- friend Jesse always trying to break in and break even National Laboratories. Oh my god! And those guys used to now those guys Kyle, am I mistaken? Those guys used to actually break into like the abandoned mental hospitals and stuff like that, right? Isn't there one? Yeah, yeah, they, the one on it's on the border of Nassau and Suffolk, right? Uh, yeah, um, I think that's right. Why can't I think of it? P- Pilgrim State. Far. Yeah, that might be right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's right. Yeah, yeah they used State. to go in there like at a, it's an abandoned mental institution. You know, they used to go in at night with flashlights. It sounds it sounds crazy. Like I don't have the balls to do that, but it sounded like a lot of fun. But that's what it reminded me of. But I mean, supposedly Plum Island is still like up and running. Like that's a that's a you know even if even the parts that aren't, I'm sure the government wants to protect. <laughs> you know, everything's quarantined and stuff. Hence it being on an island like well, we've said this many times in the past, I think, on the show or at least insinuated it. But one of the interesting things about growing up on Long Island to me was like there's a lot for the amount of square foot or I guess square mileage or whatever of the island, which isn't a lot. Yeah, th- there's a ton of weird shit going on there or around it. I don't know why that is. There's even so like, first of all, Brookhaven National Laboratories for people that don't know is on Long Island, which is like one of like the top secret secure sites basically where weird shit happens. Yeah. In the country. Yeah. And I, I knew some, uh, some friends of mine's parents worked there as scientists and stuff. So it's not like this, like, you know, military base, but it's like a secret or there's like weird shit going on there all the time. I think there's like a particle accelerator or something there. And there's like a bunch of documentaries and interesting stuff about nuclear power on Long Island as well. And how it like it has, that's kind of like seeped in the groundwater in certain towns and stuff like that. But then there's uh Camp, we, you and I went in 2017. There's Camp Hero, which is the abandoned uh, right. That's right. satellite array or, uh, uh, you know, radar array out at the very tip of Long Island, which is really weird. And like you said, there's there, Amityville is on Long Island and all sorts of stuff. So there's like all sorts of weird supernatural government, experimental, conspiratorial kind of stuff going on around us that like really fueled me as a kid. Like I was well aware that Long Island had that kind of reputation. And I feel like it had that kind of reputation in the analog days more than it does now, because I think a lot of those stories traveled by word of mouth. And so people would 
go to the island and go to other places and try to look around for stuff. I mean, you're the one who introduced me to the Philadelphia experiment, which is still one of the like scariest things ever. I and know, it's so creepy. Probably almost certainly didn't happen, but people can go read about it. It's a it's a claimed military experiment from the World War II era about like bending space and time and shit. It's really creepy. And uh, so I don't know. I, I always liked that we kind of grew up around that. I don't know if you also felt that or, or grew up around that feeling as well, but I was certainly Absolutely. well aware of Long Island's like mystical qualities, as it were, in that regard. Yeah, no, it's definitely true. I'm trying to think of other ones, too, because I think there's other ones, too. But yeah, you, you mentioned it, too, the, Amity, the Amityville house, all that stuff. It's so it's a really interesting and colorful place. You know, it has it has so many interesting stories. There's other things on the tip of my tongue that I'm trying to think of. Well, you know, we could do we could do a Long Island. You know, we could do a Long, a Long Island episode, whether it's, you know, referring to, you know, haunted spooky type things or conspiratorial things. You know, it, it could be, you know, it could be really interesting. It could be really interesting. It's an interesting place. Yeah, it is. I, I really, you know, I know we talk, we're, we're total Long Island homers, which is like no surprise, but... Yeah, that's always that I always really like. I don't know. Long Island to me is uh, I guess what I'm saying is like it's kind of creepy and it is a creepy place, it especially is. out by us, like in Suffolk County. It's it's especially creepy. I mean, it's also one big Indian burial ground. Our dad was having uh, problems getting his house built in the Hamptons that he was building for just various. You know, you have to get your you have to kind of line everything up with the town and sign all these, you know, these licenses and permissions and all this kind of stuff. So dad, it was taking dad a little longer our dad a little longer to get things done than he than he wanted. And I kept teasing him that he was building his house on an Iroquois <laughs> burial ground. He didn't like that very much. Well, you know, what's funny about that, Kyle. I told you, I think Bobby Flay built his house on, on a literal Indian burial ground in Sag Harbor, which yeah, is not that island. far from dad. And they wanted him to not do it. And he was like, I don't care if it's an Indian burial ground, build the house here. Yeah, that's another thing too. The Indian heritage. There's the other thing in Port Jeff. What is it, Mary Mary's grave, or whatever? The point above Port Jeff, might be going up into Mount Sinai up there. There's some kind of uh, creepy thing too. There's a there's a bunch of like really spooky sites that you know harken back to colonial days. Even you know, which yeah, is actually I, really yeah. interesting. I think a lot of that connects to, you know, a lot of the Colonial Day stuff I think connected to as well. Long Island was kind of isolated, you know, during those days. It wasn't easy. There were there weren't 18 bridges getting in and out of New York City and like, you know, ferries connecting people. So people were isolated there. And uh, and so I think that that built a lot of like weird um, like this weird heritage. Long Island really didn't become what it is now until somewhat recently. I guess is what I'm saying. It was farmland and and creepy shit going on, especially again out by us, out east. Yeah. So no, you're right. Um, Maybe we'll do a knockback ghost tour. We'll do all the sites. We'll narrate. We'll orate. You know, like the Kramer the Kramer reality tour from Seinfeld, where Kramer does the. <laughs> yeah, uh, yes. We should do we should do something like that for the uh, like the Moriarty Brothers reality tour or something like that. That'd by the way, amazing. just as a just as a brief aside, I've been watching Seinfeld on Hulu in order, and man, it's still. <laughs> It's God, still that's holds on up. Hulu. Yeah, the whole thing on Hulu. Oh yeah. wow, the whole cattle. Oh, that's that's a pretty that that'll be a fun thing to watch. I'm almost well. I don't want to ruin anything. I'm almost done with another series right now. Then I can move on to the next thing. But we won't talk about that yet. Yeah, we have much to discuss about. I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm so you glad I'm that we're going to be able to talk friend. about that soon. All right, Dig. Let's wrap up with a couple more stories as we uh, as we head towards the back half of our. All right, podcast. my friend. That sounds good. So you know, I have to mention skateboarding. 
you know, I grew up skateboarding. And I have to say, we've talked about it on the podcast before, but I've been really delighted that a lot of our listeners either skateboarded or skateboard or came through skateboarding in some way. So that's been really a treat to talk to you guys about skateboarding and whether you still skateboard or whether you came up through skateboarding or whatever, that's been a, a lot of fun. But skateboarding was such a big part of my life. As I talked about on the podcast before, I started when I was around 13 and, you know, still skateboard to this day, although I don't get on my skateboard nearly, nearly as much as I would like to. But um, <laughs> I had to think back to one skateboarding story. And I know Colin, I think Colin will remember this story, but this was probably the craziest and scariest thing that happened to me all through skateboarding and many crazy incidents happened, many crazy experiences, meeting crazy people and going through crazy things. But this was probably the craziest. I call this one skateboarding is apparently a crime. And it took place in Philadelphia. So now Philly, for those of you guys who don't know skateboarding very, very well, Philadelphia blew up as a mecca for skateboarding around the mid nineties. It kind of kicked off with the advent of I guess really what happened was the magazine started to cover the East Coast, which growing up skateboarding starting around, you know, 1986, 1987, that wasn't a thing. If there was a picture of one person skateboarding in one issue of Thrasher, for instance, or one issue of Transworld, that was a huge thing. You know, if there was a like a photo of New York City or whatever, but they primarily, those magazines are based on the West Coast and they always were notorious for covering the West, West Coast skateboarding. You know, NorCal, San Francisco, and Southern California. But in the 90s, probably in the early-ish 90s, the East Coast started to get, skateboarding started to get a little more coverage. And with the big, you know, the big hubs out East, I would say Philadelphia, Boston, New York, Atlanta, those skate scenes started to get recognition and those skate scenes started to blossom as a result of that with the advent of people skateboarding and shops popping up and all that kind of stuff. And Philadelphia became a very big a hot spot for skateboarding. And especially with the advent of Love Park, which for those of you who don't know Love Park, Love it's just a municipal park in the middle of the city, you know, sort of on the cusp of JFK and Market Streets. And it's a big marble concourse stairs and ledges and just a mecca for skateboard giant fountain and it just a mecca it became a mecca for skateboarding and i could literally speak to how big philadelphia was for skateboarding because i moved there partially because of that i mean i i i moved to philadelphia under the guise of going to art school but a big part of it was moving to philadelphia to go skateboard and i moved to there in 94 in the winter of 94 and the scene was just heating up and it became so big that people would come from literally all over the world to skateboard there. Um, they would come from Australia, all the European countries, Japan. And a lot of my friends were very instrumental in the skateboarding scene, whether it was at the shop level or whether it was at the industry level working for board companies. And a few of my really great friends started a skateboard magazine that some people may remember called Journal as well in Philadelphia. So... I was really in the thick of Philadelphia blowing up as a skate scene and the pro, you know, the various pros coming through and people that would never bother with going to Philadelphia to skateboard coming through to get photo ops and all that kind of stuff and to film. 
And New York was one thing, especially, you know, which kind of blew up in the early 90s before Philadelphia with, um, you know, Manhattan being an absolute wonderful skate mecca, but especially with the Brooklyn spots like the Brooklyn Banks and stuff like that. But Philadelphia really started to come into its own in 94, 95, 96. And so skateboarding was a huge thing. And so Love Park became basically taken over by skateboarders, especially on the weekends with kids coming in from the suburbs and Jersey and various places in Bucks County and Westchester and all the kids migrating and de- coming up from D.C. and coming down from New York. Love Park was probably filled with literally hundreds of skateboarders on any given weekend or any given, given summer day until it was basically taken over from, you know, people couldn't, you know, eat lunch there. It was basically became a skate spot. And eventually it became a problem with law enforcement in, in Philadelphia. And the cops cracked down in waves. It ebbed and flowed. But when the cops cracked down on skateboarding, it was bad. And you could get arrested for it. So one day, me and my friend Brian, who I should preface this, Brian was a, a good friend of mine from Long Island. He moved to Philadelphia. I met Brian when I was probably like 14. And we met through skateboarding. He lived up on the North Shore in Rocky Point. So we would have never known each other through school. We met through skateboarding. And yeah, we were probably about 14 when we met. And he, you know, he graduated from high school. He moved to Philadelphia to go to art school. And I, about a year before I did. And then I basically followed him and my other friend, Chris, who I grew up with, who also grew up on Long Island and went to art school. And we all skateboarded. And I basically followed those two guys out like a year later to go to art school and to skate. And so me and Brian are skating Love Park one day. This was probably 95, sometime in the summer of 95. And the cops come through. And basically what, what would happen was the co- how the cops orchestrated it, they would pull up in the front of the park and they would pull up on the, in the back of the park. And they would just arrest as many kids as they could and take their skateboards and basically confiscate your board. So the thing was you were going to lose your board if you got caught by the cops. They were, they were going to... You know, they were going to impound your skateboard. They weren't going to give it back. You were down, you know, 140 bucks or whatever. And that sucked. You know, we were like college students. I wasn't going to go out and get a new complete for 140 bucks. You know what I mean? So if the, if the cops came through, you had to, you were either going to lose your skateboard or you were going to run. So we would run. And that became basically habit. I mean, we basically learned how to do it. We learned all the little throughways, all the little alleys. We had a we had escape routes and all that kind of stuff. And it's so silly when you look at it because it's just skateboarding, right? But that's a whole nother that's a whole nother thing. So one day, coming through, it's a weekend. The cops come through. A hundred kids scramble. Me and Brian go up through one of our normal routes. We think everything's fine. We're going up market now. We're skateboarding up Market Street, the opposite way of traffic, heading west. So we're heading up Market Street. For those of you who know Philly, we're heading up Market Street against traffic, as if we're going towards 30th Street Station and University City, which is the opposite way of where we lived. But we just figured no one's going to go that way. It's sort of a relatively isolated part of town, especially on the weekends because it's all office buildings there. The Comcast building is there now, but. We just figured that would be a safe route and the cops couldn't go that way up Market Street. You know, you always try to go against traffic this way. The cops can't, you know, they would have to go around a full block in order to pursue you. So we're going and we're skating up Market Street and we realize it's been a couple of minutes and we feel safe. So we're slowing down and sort of looking at each other and we're not like skating our asses off. We're just cruising. Dude, (laughs) all of a sudden, I swear to God, I was like Starsky and Hutch. Here comes the... (laughs) 
<laughs> now I should tell you, I should I should preface this by saying the cops at that time in the mid nineties drove they were like basically Broncos. They were like these big Broncos. And they were marked, they were marked vehicles, Philadelphia police vehicles. They were like big SUVs. So it's a weekend, it's on Market Street, there's not that much traffic. We're just chilling out, looking at each other, like, all right, I guess we're clear. We're we're all right. Here comes we hear screech the car screeching, the wheels chirping, right? Here, I'm not exaggerating. Here comes this cop SUV skidding around the corner like like bullet. Like it's like a cop movie from the 70s, right? And he now we're like, what the fuck? He's coming 60 miles an hour the wrong way up Market Street. We're like, what the fuck? So we just we just took off. We just started taking off. Like we're gonna get away from these guys, right? We both go up on the sidewalk of this office building and we're trying to round the corner through like the, um, I guess through like the courtyard of this office building, the skyscraper. The SUV pulls up on the sidewalk into the concourse of the skyscraper. So now the SUV is up, not only on the sidewalk, but in between the pillars of the skyscraper and the office building itself. Like it could barely fit in that space. And he's coming at us full bore. So we're just like, I just jumped off my board and put my arms up. <laughs> so here come these two cops. They get out. They get out of the car. They're fucking fuming, dude. Now, I have to say, I don't mean to describe them this way, but I have to describe it to you this way because there were two young black cops and they're fucking fuming. All right. So looking back at it now, they're probably in their early 30s. And I actually recognize them because... They're cops that we actually know a little bit because Brian worked at that time. Brian worked at a Wawa up near where we where we lived on Ben Franklin Parkway, and that was their beat. And Brian especially would see them coming into Wawa a lot. And when I visited Brian at work at night, I would see those guys either in the Wawa getting coffee or like just around that area, that beat of like just on the, I guess that's like the South side. No, that's the North side of Ben Franklin Parkway. So I knew these guys and Brian knew who they were. So they literally dude, They grab me as hard as they can. They throw my hands behind my back. They throw me in cuffs and they throw me in the back of the SUV. Same with Brian and they take off blazing. And now they're yelling at us. They're like, and they're playing good cop, bad cop. That's all I, I, all I could think about was like, what is going to happen, right? Like, this is insane. And they're like, you're running from, you, you're going to be arrested. You're going to jail for 20 years. You're resisting arrest and all this kind of stuff. And they're playing good cop, bad cop. And one guy's like wiling out. And the other guy's like, I, like literally, he's like the one guy. This is literally what they were saying to us, okay? I'm not, this is not, I have to tell you exactly what happened because it's part of the story. They're like, I don't know what's going on with these white boys. I don't know why they're not home in the suburbs playing tennis. And he's like, uh, he's like, I don't know, Leon. I don't know if you should talk to him. <laughs> the other guy's like, <laughs> like, this is what they're doing. And he's like, I don't know. You know, so basically they stop. They bring us in front. We're like, what the hell are they doing? So they bring us. They're like verbally abusing us. Now, I have a, I have a plate. I had a plate in my arm because I broke my arm a few years prior and I was like, sir, like my, the, the cuff is like really tight. I have a plate in my arm. He's like, shut the fuck up. And he's like, like they're treating us like we just robbed the bank at gunpoint. Like that's all I could think of. Like, is this literally happening because we were skateboarding, <laughs> you know? So they turn around 
they're going the wrong way up like every road like the the sense of urgency does not fit the crime at all you know i'm like we are going to die in a car accident what is happening right now you know <laughs> so they go all the way back to love park the wrong way up every road that we just came by like literally the wrong way up market street the wrong way up 16th street whatever it was all the way back turn around go back to love park take us out of the car and just stand us there so all the kids skateboarding could see us cuffed and they're just like showing us they're just showing all the kids and everybody's looking and pointing and some kids are laughing and you know some of them are friends some of them we don't know you know whatever it is then they take us downstairs now philadelphia at this time had like a bunch of underground passages that were originally subways but a lot of them were like for the orange line and stuff but a lot of those tunnels were abandoned and were sort of taken over by homeless. The homeless population was really big in the mid nineties and they basically lived down there. It was like, just like rows and rows, just like half a mile at a time of homeless people. And, you know, little villages almost like down in the subway. And that's what we always thought about it. Like these, uh, these unused portions of the subway tunnels were like homeless people. And, but they had other tunnels down there too, which were like little, I guess they were like little drunk tanks underneath the city. And there were basically like little isolated areas with like a single bench and a couple of pairs of handcuffs, literally. So they bring us down there and they handcuff us this bench in like this dark corridor and they're questioning us. They're just like, where are you from? Blah, 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 blah. Like, giving us the whole, like, what are you doing in the city? Like, why aren't you at home in the suburbs playing tennis? Like, where's your cardigan sweater? Like, this is the type of stuff they're saying. It was the weirdest thing. It was the strangest thing, right? And the weird thing is we kind of knew who, we kind of knew them and they were acting like they didn't know who we were. And then they leave us down there for like 45 minutes. They're like, what the fuck? Like, are we just going to be left down here? Like, you know, cuffed to this bench? It was terrifying. I was terrified. I was just like, what is going to, they could have done whatever they wanted. You know what I mean? Type of thing. So they come back and they're like, okay, guys, it's no problem. You guys aren't the guys we're looking for. You know, we were looking for a guy, you know, guys with great, you know, khakis and gray shirts or whatever. I I was literally like every single person in, in Love Park had khakis and gray shirts on, you know? So they basically held us and they just let us go and just gave our boards back. It was the it was the most it was the most bizarre. I'll never forget it. I I mean I've had run-ins with police before. I don't r- usually like to run from police if I could help it, but that you know in those days, you know you're in your college years. You don't have you don't have the money for a new board. You don't want to get your board, and plus that's your transportation. You know you don't want to get your board confiscated. You know it's, what's funny about the history of of Philly Kyle when it concerns skateboarding is since then. Is you know skateboarding? I don't know if you know this. Skateboarding is outlawed in Philly. You can't skateboard down the street. You can't skateboard in the down the sidewalk. You could get a ticket for that, but they passed that law after hosting the 2000 X Games, which was like a they made huge bids for the 2000 X Games. You know, pretended to be like this big skater friendly city. Got all the endorsements. Got all the money. Hosted the 2000 X Games, and then and then basically as soon as the X Games ended in 2000. 2001 they banned skateboarding it was the most it was the biggest knife in the back of skateboarders in the area but that's the way it was that was really the climate for skateboarding in philly in the 90s new york was never like that because if you skated in an office building in new york let's say you were skating downtown like world trade 
in the 90s, that area, Bear Stearns and Time Warner and the World Trade Center and all that kind of stuff, they would just chase you out. And the worst thing that would happen was a lot of those security guards, especially at like, you know, Bear Stearns and all the big, you know, investment companies and banks and everything, they had dogs. So that was scary. Not that they ever sick the dogs on you, but they had Rottweilers and stuff like that. So that was always the biggest thing is you, you would get chased out. But you never had run-ins with the police in New York, ever, because they had things to do. You know what I mean? Not that right, they, they didn't were... in Philly, but it was such it was such a small, especially Center City, Philadelphia, so small. You know, the the police really gave it a hassle, and that was that was just the most insane. Just the imagery of that, you know, that SUV turning the corner like bullet and just speeding towards us and coming up on the sidewalk and almost running me over. Like it was just insane. You know, it was just the most insane skateboarding memory of all the skateboarding memories I have. You know, my only my only um, bit of sorrow associated with that story is that it's probably the only crazy skateboarding story I have that PJ was not associated with. He wasn't there for that one. So I can't I don't I don't have that memory to share with him. But it was another good friend of mine. You know, one of my best friends, actually, Brian. But it's man, you know, it's funny, man, to hear the I don't want to give anyone I'm not giving anyone advice. But I am of the mind that you don't necessarily in situations of like dubious consequence where no one's being hurt, like when when a party's broken up, for instance, or uh, whatever the case might be. Great. Point. Um, that's a great. That's I think it's kind example. of on you to get out of there. I mean, I'm not going to fucking stick around and make and, and just be like, oh, you know, I'm running. I'm going to run. And I have. Right. You know, so it's not like. You know, when I was in Northeastern and cops would come in through the front door at a fucking party, I'd be out the back door. Bye. Right. Exactly. And <laughs> you, you know, were, like, and you were out of there. It's like, I'm not going to like stick around. And, you know, I'm not saying if you're being pulled over by a cop or something, you do that because other people are in danger and shit at that point. But if you're on oh, foot, right, and you really right, didn't right. do anything wrong, you know, or even, you know, I think I might have told the story. I don't know if I ever did that. You know, I used to ride my scooter. Did I tell the story about how I kind of like I, I like these cops were pulling around to go after me on my scooter and I got away. From no, I don't Francisco. think I heard this story. No. So uh, I was driving home from so at IGN's old office in Brisbane, which is in the valley in Silicon Valley. It's like a very rural area, a very northern California rural area right outside of Daly City in San Francisco. And there was like this parallel like off ramp uh, of one of the highways that people would take and then like go over this basically this really fun little country looking road that had like these turns and these it like waved. It was like really this fun, smooth road. OK. And. I used to like gun it on my scooter on this thing. And uh, because like, first of all, on a scooter, I wouldn't I didn't feel bad. I'm like, if I hit anything, I'm going to die. No one's going to get hurt. You know, so you should you should um, elaborate that this is a moped. Yeah, a moped, scooter. a scooter. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Moped. Yeah, yeah. It's a 250 cc Yamaha Vino or it was. I sold it. And so that that thing, I can get that thing. I, I think I made you laugh in the past. If I was going downhill in San Francisco, I can get that thing going like 70. You know, are you serious? And, uh, Oh, definitely. I was Holy fucking shit. crazy. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You can get that thing. It was like it would start to shake and shit. And so <laughs> and so uh, I would probably on this one road, this like one twisty kind of road coming back from IGN, I would I would ride and I would ride and I take the turns and kind of gun it. It was fun. A lot of people did it in their cars, by the way, because, like, you know, it was like a fun thing or fun little ride. And this part of San Francisco, too. I don't know if um, it was a Steve McQueen movie. Bullet. I think Bullet. it was called That's Bullet. Yeah. There, right there is where that famous chase scene was filmed. Where he um, jumps. Th- yeah, exactly. There's, there's a, there's, um, I forget, it's called the San Mateo Highway or something like that. Basically, there's this highway that's basically not used at all. 
that goes between Daly City and like back road San Francisco and like back road into the valley and stuff like that. It's okay. like not used. Like there's okay. like never any cars on it. I think I was I was talking to people about it up there and I think that the intention was that it was supposed to be used and then other shit was built over time. And so it just ended up not really being used. So it's basically like this empty highway. And so it was a similar situation. Anyway, I was riding down this road and coming at me the other way were these cops in a car and I like made eye contact with them. They couldn't see me because I had like a helmet on and glasses, but they clearly like were looking at me and wondering why I was going so fast. And I saw them in my rear view mirror pull over and begin to like start to turn around to like come after me. And I go and I do. I saw it and I fucking gunned it on my scooter down the rest of this road and then took a right instead of going left, which would have made me more exposed. And then immediately I like, took another right and just pulled over. And, and you waited there. Yeah. And I waited them out and then they just drove off and like, I don't know if they were going to arrest me or just give me a, not arrest me, but just give me a warning or a ticket or whatever the case might be. No one was getting hurt. But the point is, is that in a situation like that, I felt perfectly comfortable to be like, fuck it. Dude, that's <laughs> fucking <laughs> awesome. That's amazing. <laughs> what? Oh my God. That's so good. That's all right. And have you so, seen get, the movie drive? Have you seen the Ryan Gosling? movie? Oh yeah, drive? I have. I, lo- I love that movie, man. The that reminds me of the beginning excellent. of that when he's getting away and he has to do the whole thing where he zigs and zags and he hides under the overpass or whatever. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Oh, that's so awesome, dude. It's 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 a it's a funny little memory I have. It's probably it was probably like ten years ago now, maybe even more. Uh, but it's a fun it's a funny little memory I have because I wasn't really even thinking about it in the moment. Probably similar to like when you're getting chased with your skateboard or whatever. I'm like fuck it. I'm doing all the math immediately in my head. I'm like, uh, you know, no one's getting hurt. I don't think I did anything really wrong. It's like a weekend. No one's around. I'm just gonna see what happens. <laughs> I love it. I love that line. I love that way. That way of thinking. I, it's funny. I always dreaded having to do it because I didn't want to get caught. We just we we just had bad luck that day. Like for some reason they had a beat on us, of all the kids, and we just went the usual way. And for some reason they they figured it out that time, or they saw us. They got a little they got a little beat on us, and that was it. You know, that was really that was really frightening. Because you know what you know what was frightening about that though, Kyle. That their level of anger. I mean, when there's a chase. And then they eventually apprehend whoever they're, you know, whoever they're going after. That adrenaline is so kicked up, you know, and and they're human beings. So, and I'm not, def- I'm certainly not defending it, especially when you're going after skateboarders, you know. But it's, you know, that, you know, there, it just leads to being angry. And then what happened was they handled it. They handled it all wrong. They realized it, and then they had to apologize and let us go. But to put us through all that. For skateboarding, and what what were we at that at that time? Twenty years old, you know. what I mean, we're, we're skateboarding. You know, obviously, you know it's going to be a thing. This place is going to be full of skateboarders. There's ways to deal with it. It was really interesting too because the mayor at that time, what the hell was his name? I can't think of it. But his son was a skateboarder, and he had, despite that fact, he had completely no empathy for skateboarders. You know. And it was, you just think in Philadelphia, I think Philadelphia is like the fourth or fifth biggest city in the country. And you would think they have bigger fish to fry. That's all I'm saying. You would think yeah, it's, they have it's, it's always the low hanging fruit. It's the low hanging fruit, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's the, the interesting. Easy, that's the easy thing. The interesting thing about your story, though, Dig, I hate to say it, is that it's it's not you, but it's it's racist. Like they were they were racist to you, you know? Yeah, there was a lot of racism in Philly. Both I witnessed a lot of racism in Philly both ways. Now I never dealt with it. Besides that incident, which I just I felt like those guys more were being clowns. 
but I never I I saw it and heard it a lot from other people, but I never dealt I have to say I was very lucky that I never dealt with it firsthand. But there was a lot which really saddens me because you know how I feel about racism. But there was a lot of racial tension in the city at that time and a lot of anger and it worked it was on both sides of the fences. It was really interesting and it was very foreign thing for me to witness growing up in New York because we did not we did not witness that in New York. I'm not saying not every not anybody witnesses that in New York, but my experience in New York, both in the suburbs and New York City, did not contain one ounce of that. You know, if there were problems, it wasn't based on race. You know, it was based on you're an asshole. You know what I mean? It was it was much it was much more surface and it seemed much dip the attitude in New York seemed much different. That was something I had to adjust to in Philadelphia. Now, I think Philadelphia's gotten a lot better since then. But it very it really struck me as odd, you know, for a big city to feel that way. You know, I do remember that, you know, feeling that that sort of was in the air in Philadelphia, especially in the mid nineties, which was unfortunate. You know, I think there was a lot of anger about Yeah, I think there's a I think you hear about a lot of you know, I'm always interested in the cities that have I mean, not not because of this, but it's always interesting the cities that have racial tension, you know, in the north. So like cities like Detroit had a lot of racial tension and Philadelphia sure. later on. Yeah. And others. It's always it's always uh, and Boston is uh, considered a Boston. notoriously racist city. Although I, I I witnessed some pretty overt forms of racism in in uh, especially with my best friend being Hispanic in Boston. OK, um, oh, wow. like directly, I directly heard it, saw it everything you know that's a shame. um but but i also think it's i also think it's a little overplayed i think boston's reputation doesn't seem that much different than other northern cities that have this sterling reputation of being a northern city but they really have this this undercurrent that's a little more sinister you know and i wonder yeah. if that's kind of the thing with philadelphia with such a black community philadelphia is such a black city that i wonder if the, it's very similar to atlanta actually in that sense yeah. um where I wonder if there's just that that rate that racial animus kind of just exists because it, it's just not necessarily through the lens that we can understand uh, as white people, you know. Um, I think there's some of that. I think there's definitely yeah. some of that, you know. And the, like you said too, the history, you know, Philadelphia has a, a history of that. Unfortunately, it, it's it, it's good to see Philadelphia come so far in 20 years. I'll say that. But it it is shocking for a big city to have that. It's such a shame, you know. And you know, it's not something to go into on this podcast, but that's, you know, that's a hill I'll die on, you know, that people know me, you know, that th there's nothing worse for me than, than racism. And, you know, I've almost gotten the shit beat out of me in front of my kids for, you know, for speaking up about that kind of stuff and everything like that. But, you know, you gotta, you gotta go with your heart, you know, but I, I mean, there is, there, I mean, maybe that, that predicament was, and that, you know, that's what makes it kind of hurtful because I don't have that. You know what I mean? That I, I'm the last person who wants to be treated like that. I don't feel I'm entitled, but you know what I mean? Like I would never do that to somebody. So it's it's hurtful when it's, you know, and I, I know people that would, you know what I mean? That, that don't have that same kind of attitude. And I feel like, you know, not that they're more entitled to get harassed or get, you know, have experience a racist thing, but, you know, that type of thing is just, it, it's, it's always a bad look. You know, I, it's so funny that people haven't moved past that. It seems so primitive. Like it seems not only primitive, but it seems so simple. It just seems like any six-year-old should get it. You know what I mean? That's what's always so frustrating for me about the idea of racism. You know, it just seems so like such an infantile thing to understand. Like we, we're on the planet together. We share the planet together. 
is it really so hard to get along and respect one another like and care for one another like is it that tough like you know i just always boil it down to a really simple thing that could be because i have a really simple mind too you know no I don't, I, I don't think that's true I, I think that you having a simple mind not being true i think i think what you're saying is true i think that you know i think that it, it, i agree with you it's it, it, it primitive is the perfect word for it and i always think that like there's a weird conflation of like you can think that america is a superior society but it has nothing to do with anyone's skin color because it's not about skin color or creed or anything like that right. it's about like a spirit you know based on constitutional law and and freedom of expression and and the press and your ability to worship and stuff. See, that's why I'm always a little that's why I, I, racism to me is so peculiar, you know, because I'm like, what evidence do you really have that anything's based on a person's skin color? It seems like it's based on a way of life. And you can think, you know, I, I think our way of life in our society is far superior to many societies in the world. But that has right. nothing to do with race. It has to do with how we treat people. You know, it's it's not a huge it's not a huge stretch for me to say like, yeah, our society is superior to the Saudi Arabian society that basically criminalizes being a woman, you right. know, or being right. gay. Of course, but that has nothing to do with me being white or them being Arab. It actually has to simply do with the way we live our lives. Yeah, so I completely attitudes. agree with you. Uh, that's the thing that frustrates me the most. I agree with you too, Dig, and it's like. It's 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 unfortunate and it's and then in modernity it's like the word I use is it's peculiar you know it's like well yeah, a at this point it. it's got to be really it's got to be quite virulent for you to really believe some of this shit and so it says a lot about a person absolutely I think peculiar is the perfect word and I think spirit is the perfect word to describe you know the country you know when the country's being the country that it should be which you know it is you know when it is so yeah I think I think that's well said. Like if the next generation of Americans are all Vietnamese, that's perfectly fine as long as the Constitution's in play. Then I really don't care, you know. Right, exactly. So I think that's well said. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's well said. Uh, Dig, we're running about a hundred minutes ish or so. Do, should we? Do you think we should save some of these stories for next time, or do you want to keep going? What is, What is your choice? You want to do one? want to do one more? Let's do one more and then wrap it up. That's perfect. Okay. All right. So I'm going to go, I'm going to close out. We can, we can save stories for next time. We have plenty of funny stories. I'm sure I'm forgetting some too. I have a couple of, uh, I wrote down a bunch, but there's got to be some other ones, but I'm going to close on this one, Kyle, because it's what I thought I haven't thought of in a while when I was sitting down writing notes for this episode, it had popped into my head and it's too funny not to mention. So I call this one Rambo. <laughs> now, when I was growing up, I was a Cub Scout and I was a Boy Scout. And I don't know if I have the opportunity to talk about scouts too much on the show, but it was an important part of my life. And now I will say I enjoyed Cub Scouts. And then when I got to be Boy Scout age, you know, later in junior high school into high school, I really did not. I went into Boy Scouts kicking and screaming. I didn't want to do it. And because I think I explained this on one of our other shows, it got in the way of skateboarding, especially skateboarding. So I didn't want to go to meetings on Wednesday night and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, I really did end up enjoying Boy Scouts. And I really made good friends in Scouts, too. And one of my favorite things about Scouts, especially later on in Boy Scouts, was camping. I loved camping. And I grew up in Brookhaven in Troop 4. We were a very competitive troop. We would go on campouts and jamborees and stuff like that. And we would... You know, you would compete with other troops. You would go out on the trail and go to different stations for the day and compete at different things and get judged in whatever it was. And, 
you know, whether it was not tying at a certain station or for, you know, a first day drill that you had to do or a canoe race, whatever it was. And we were really, we won a lot of awards and I was a patrol leader and I had so much fun, but camping was always great. Summertime, fall, the winter was the polar bear camp campery, which got a little rough, but even that was fun. But we had one kid in my troop as far back as I can remember, he was a year younger than me. So he was in our sister Dana's grade. I went to school with him. His name was Bill, but we called him Rambo. <laughs> and dude, I'm not exaggerating at all. We would go, he was the, he was the most nature boy of all the nature boys I ever knew. And we talked about our neighbor, Kurt on the show before we talked about other people, but this guy was like, call the wild personified i mean he was rambo he would this guy was rambo and he loved nature he loved climbing trees he loved being out in the woods he was like a survivalist before that was a thing he was like a 13 year old survivalist so when we and he was a bit of a loose cannon okay so when we would go on campouts, it was a known thing by our scout leaders by our scout masters that we would get to the campsite and billy was going to disappear for the weekend it was the, uh, this would not exist today, but it was like, all right, we got to the campground. Where's Billy? He's off in the woods. All right. And we wouldn't see, we would go, we would arrive at the campsite on Friday night. Billy would be gone and we'd see him on Sunday packing up. Like he would go out in the woods and be, and live by himself. He would, he wouldn't go on the camps. He wouldn't go on the campsite. He wouldn't stay in the campsite. He wouldn't eat with us. He would just be off on his own in the woods. We might catch a glimpse of him on the trail like competing during the day whatever he was just gone but the thing was he would stalk us and terrify us at random intervals during the camping trip so that's like fucking aw- that's dude awesome. it was fucking amazing like we would just hear a rustle and we would look up and he'd be he'd have his face completely painted in camouflage with a like with his knife in his mouth just looking down <laughs> at us it was fucking t- it was half hysterical and half horrifying because he was such a weird dude that you didn't know what he was going to do. Like, we just expected, like, you know, one day you're, like, taking a shit in the woods and he's just, like, doing that Rambo thing where he's covered in mud and he's against the tree or whatever. Right. He's just, his eyes open and you just see the whites of his eyes. <laughs> it, was, it was the craziest thing because it was unnerving because you would be out and he would just pop up. You know, and it wasn't just one camp out. It was every camp out several times a year for years. That was a known thing that he was just going to go. It was like, how did he live? What is he going to eat? It didn't matter. Like he, he would pop up on Sunday to get to catch a ride home. But what you did know, the adults I, think of this guy? They just knew he was going to do it. I guess they just kind of threw their hands up like, all right, I guess Billy's just going to disappear into the woods and like do his thing. That's you know, very like 80s. Head count. It's like head count, you know, 28. Well, it's supposed to be 29, but Billy's in the woods, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't even sleep with us. Like, what, it was the weirdest did thing. Did he go to Bellport? Yeah, he went to Bellport. I forget. So did, did he go into the military name. or something like that? You know, that's a great question. He had to have. He had to have. He absolutely had to have. It's so that funny, man, too. That boy was the man who killed Osama bin Laden. <laughs> <laughs> It was such a colorful memory because, again, if you contrast it to now, that would never go on. Like, there's no way you're going to go on a camping trip and the camp leaders, are just the, the Boy Scout masters, the Scout masters are just going to let the guy go off on his own all weekend. 
You know, that was such an 80s thing. It, oh, it's it could so never funny, go dude. on. It could never go on now. You know, it's, it's so excellent. different. That's excellent. I love it's it. So good. It's so good. Oh, what a good story. Yeah, it's so I would really be curious to know. See, this is where you being on Facebook, like we said in the past, that's the one disadvantage is that we could at least get updates, just anonymous updates. We don't need to know people's names, you know, but just anonymous updates based on some of these people. Like you should log into Helene's account sometimes and just start sometime and just start looking for some of these people. Start looking for people. You know, and you don't have to contact them, but just see like what their profession is or something or whatever, you know, whatever it's like. I feel like I I really like that idea because... I feel like it could lead to some really funny and rewarding outcomes, but I could also find out that like Billy moved to like, you know, he moved to Parsippany and became like an accountant. Yeah. Something that ruins the image. Yeah. It's like, Oh, like, no, like I expected this guy to be like, you know, hiding out somewhere. Like he's like some CIA clandestine black ops. Like (laughs) we haven't heard from (laughs) Billy's been off the grid for four years. <laughs> Billy's in deep cover in North Korea. <laughs> we disavow all his actions. <laughs> he's gone stateless. rogue. <laughs> he's st- he's Billy is now st- a stateless rogue agent. <laughs> he's gonna pop. I'm gonna get in my car one day. He's gonna be in the passenger seat. <laughs> That's so fun, dude. You know what would be funny though? You know what would be really funny for us to consider doing in the future is really just trying. Not necessarily some of the ancillary characters. But like some of the 10 most or eight or six most central characters to your story, really trying to like or your stories to really try to track them down and talk to each of them. Like Tommy, I mean, I I, I follow John on Twitter. I know he's around. Yeah, John's uh, around. John's around. PJ's obviously easy. He's um, around. We probably will eventually have to keep PJ off of the show. <laughs> he keeps threatening. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's ready. He's ready to go. He's, you know, oh, he's, actually, he's ready anytime. It would, it would have been perfect. We probably have to wait until October when we're on the island, but if we planned it a little better, it would have been perfect for him to come out this summer to do it because of the kids and Helene being gone, but we, we really have, That's to, true. Record our, to, we have to record our own stuff, though, so there's just That's no true. time for it. But it would be cool to just kind of reconnect with these people and, like, ask them, ask you know, talk to them about these different experiences and what they remember, what they remember about you, and if, if the stories that are being told, like, what they can add in perspective and stuff, I think it's going to be, like... There's so much Dude, potential there. That's such know? a good idea. That is such a great idea. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, because it gets every get everybody's kick at the can and their vantage point and their own memories. It's only going to make the stories better, you know, because it's coming from every, you know, everybody, you know, remembers a little bit of color that the other one doesn't remember. So, yeah, I love that. That's awesome. Yeah, it would be it would be a lot of fun to do that. And uh, yeah, great story to end on. And we'll we'll put the rest in reserve for now. Nothing wrong with that. Not at all, uh, my friend. Not at all. Dig, shall we end uh, with some... Well, what are we ending this... Uh, remind me, dad jokes, but we were ending with something else, weren't we? Yeah, yeah. So we got the light... We re, we re, uh, were remaking the lightning round. Oh, we brought it right. Back. This is when you maybe choose between mom and dad and grandma and grandpa. And all that. That <laughs> mom was, was just talking about that tonight. She loved that. <laughs> oh, mom. Mom gets it. She just gets it. Well, the funnier thing about it, I think, was that I just immediately answered the questions without even... <laughs> thinking about them dude that's amazing it's so good oh it's so great but you know what Kyle this is the versus mode I, I'm going to ask you 10 questions pertaining loosely pertaining to our, today's topic and then I already recorded my answers to the same thing we'll see where we end up I that circled my answers already in blue so I'm going to circle your answers in pink and we'll see perfect. how we match up alright so Kyle lightning round versus mode for childhood 
adventures. Okay. Ride bike or ride the scooter? Bike. All right. I can't read my own handwriting on this one. Okay. So On your bike. <laughs> on your... Get on your bike. Sons of a bitch. <laughs> so nighttime activity when you're a kid. What what do you prefer? Night swimming or manhunt? Mm, man I know, hunt. it's a tough one. You go on manhunt, okay. I'm gonna go manhunt. <laughs> Fight or flight? Uh flight. Typically, I'm gonna typically go flight. Sorry, people can hear Lola barking in the background. Aaron just got home. Loli. What's the better age to be, Kyle? Six years old or thirteen years old? What do you prefer? Oh wow. That's a it's great a tough question. One. Six years old is probably the better age, but you won't know it. 13 years old is probably the worst age, and you definitely know it because everyone's upset when they're 13 years old. <laughs> mm, that's true. That's true. You're starting to get your independence, but you also have all the those fledgling problems. Oh, my God. I thought the weight of the world was on my shoulders when I was 13, 14, 15 years old. If only, I knew, if only I knew better that literally nothing mattered, that would have been a, a really I know. A better. I know. It's so funny that you can't give kids that perspective. It's like almost impossible. It's a phenomenon no, it, that you can't. you can't. It totally is because I said, how many times have I said it on the shows over the years, on my own shows where I'm like, what you're doing, right? I know it seems so heavy, but it really doesn't matter. If it you're doesn't. 16 years old, like the social shit and the girl that you don't, you know, that doesn't like you. And whatever, it's like, dude, I can't even remember these people's names anymore. You know? So yeah. It's, it's so true. And it's so crazy. I think I to- told you before, I maybe even mentioned it on the show. Grandma used to tell me that. And I used to be like, like think she was really sweet for trying to make me feel better would just be like you're crazy like that would be my answer in my head like you're nuts like of course it matters you know she would try to tell me like it doesn't it's not gonna it doesn't matter you know believe me like this too shall pass that's what she said all the time right it's good you wisdom know? and i just didn't get that you don't get it you can't get it it's like you want to i i wish i could like i have a daughter approaching that age i wish i could tell her that yeah but i, I could tell her that until i'm blue in the face she's not gonna she doesn't have the capacity to understand that yet yeah, you know. it's it's a it's a lesson everyone has to learn. Wisdom really really does only come with time. Wisdom. Wisdom. All right, my friend. Are you going backyard baseball or backyard football? Backyard baseball, wiffle ball for sure. Oh, wiffle ball. Good point. Okay. When dealing with the cops, I'm not telling you nothing, copper. Or okay, I'll talk. I'm not telling you anything. I mean, unless and I know my rights, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Believe like me, it. I'll be the I most like obnoxious it. person you ever arrest. <laughs> I like I like your medal. I like your medal, my friend. Sleepover at your own house or at a friend's house? Which did you prefer as a kid? I liked that. I liked it more as a friend's house. I felt too much pressure at my own house. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The pressure of the host. I hear that. Like you have to entertain. You feel like people are bored. There's not appropriate food. Like none of that pressure is on you. Good point. Yeah. You just house. go along for the ride. Right. Whatever happens, like happens. It. Fuck it. All right. Sleep with the lights on or sleep with the lights off? Uh, lights off. Although I've gone through multiple periods of my life where I've wanted the lights on, uh, yeah. including as an adult. Yeah. You know? Oh, so. me too. I hate the dark. Yeah. I'm not good with the dark. Yeah. You really are afraid of the dark. You oh, really I'm ter- don't like I'm terrible with the dark. Yeah. I'm not good. I'm not. Helene still laughs at me. I'm like, whatever. Just laugh at me. It doesn't matter. This is who I am. You know, if I, if I, if I'm alone, I'll, I'll cop to this right now. I, sh- I probably shouldn't, but I'm going to like, I'm going to be sleeping by myself now for a couple of weeks. I'm sleeping with the bathroom, you know, in the master bedroom. I'm sleeping with the bathroom light on. Well, I can't be in. The you didn't dark. have to out. You just outed yourself for no reason. Just like I did at the beginning. Of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> All 
But fair All enough. All right, Kyle. That's good. Yep. You roasting marshmallows or weenies? Or what? Or weenies. Hot dogs. Oh, weenies. Uh, hot right. dogs, for sure. Yep. Fall nights or summer nights? Fall night. All right. All right. We got, we differed on three. Which so ones were, were, which, were we different on? We're seven for ten. I said, I'll talk to the cops because I'm a, I'm a puss. And I said, summer nights. And mm. I said, lights on, of course. So Yeah, summer nights are compelling. Uh, that's definitely a good answer, but I, I feel like I love the fall. I love the, I do the brisk nature. I love the leaves changing, I, you know? I know. It's a but good maybe vibe. fall night. I don't know that. I, maybe summer night is the right answer, you know? They're fall night good. is a They're fall night a thing. I guess a fall night's a thing. Yeah. Oh, fall night. Yeah. You know what it reminds me of? I always think of it. And this could be my inner animator talking. Great pumpkin, Charlie Brown. That mm. that piece of work encapsulates what the fall should feel like implicitly. There's nothing better that captures the fall than that. You know, it's a little melancholy. It's warm. The colors, everything. Yeah, just the, for me, for me. Now, yeah, uh, just for you. No, I hear you. For me. Yeah, no, I think I'm gonna stick with my answer. So seven out of ten. Uh, not bad. The same. Not bad. No. Not bad. All right. So now, now dad jokes. Now, Kyle, I went through these before because I wrote a bunch down. Now you just have to correct me if I'm if I'm if I accidentally reread one. I don't think I'm going to, but I I have to admit to being in a little bit of an animator sort of like I'm in like a weird time warp. When you're an animator, it's weird because you could spend nine hours inside of three to five seconds. You know what I mean? Like I'm working on a right. scene that's five seconds long for hours and hours and hours at a time. It puts you in a weird time warp. Like your when you come out of that, your time, your perspective on time is fucked. Like it's the weirdest thing. Like I know I love animating. I feel this way about writing too, but writing comes a little harder for me when I'm animating. I think I've mentioned this to you before. It, nine hours could pass. It feels like it was 20 minutes. It's the weirdest thing. I'm like, holy shit! It's it's nine o'clock at night. I feel like it's one in the afternoon. Like that's real because you're. It's I guess it's concentration. You know what I mean? I guess that's what it is. So if I re if I if I read any of these twice, forgive me, you guys. I'm gonna try not to do that. All right. So let, let's enough. make Colin Fair squirm enough. here. All right. I don't think I read this one, did I? Kyle, there's three unwritten rules of life. One, two, and three. I don't it's kind of a hard one not to. That's a kind of a hard one when you're just. There are three unwritten it. rules in life. One. Yeah, one, I don't even really get two. it. Yeah, maybe that's a weird one. Maybe like, what is the? One. I don't like. I that thought one. I got that one, but now that I'm saying it, there are know. three unwritten rules in life. And one, then you, when you look at it, it's just when you look at it, it's just one with nothing, two with nothing, and three with nothing. Oh, I I see. Yeah, see, that's that's a tough one to verbalize. Yeah, yeah, that's more of a visual. That's more of a visual. That was really that was just bad. That was bad. That wasn't bad. Fun, good, bad. (laughs) Not bad meaning bad, but bad meaning good. (laughs) All right, hold on. Okay, let me get you. Let me get you one here. Why, Kyle? Why did the Invisible Man turn down the job offer? I don't know. He couldn't see himself doing it. <laughs> oh, he like Kyle like that one. That's not a repeat. Yeah, see, that's, is it? that's more my speed. You know. All right, I'm. I like that one. Now. That was a good one. That's you a like good that one. one. All right, I'm cl- I'm closing on that one then. 
I was, I'm going yeah, off close, on a high note. Let's go off on a high note. Yeah, just like George. Just like George. Got to go out on a high note. <laughs> uh, Dig. Well, that was a great episode of uh, Knockback. It uh, oh, went longer than I thought as well, which is which is good because people are enjoying these longer episodes we've been doing. So let's well, keep to up. me, it's always so funny. And, you know, I was just listening to somebody, a podcast. I don't even remember which one that I listened to. And they were talking about might have been on Rogan. I don't know. But they were talking about keeping podcasts at a shorter length and that people actually there's some people that don't like a longer podcast. But to me, that never made sense. Like, just stop listening to it. Just shut it off. If, it, yeah, if it's going too long for you, either split it up or like, no, I'm not saying quantity automatically equals quality. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying you would automatically, if you're enjoying it, you have it there to listen to for longer. And if you're not enjoying it, just don't listen. You know, I absolutely mean? agree. I regularly listen to political podcasts. There's a few political podcasts I listen to every week and yeah. they're rarely long enough. See, you know? there you go. That's so like I, I would love I would love the 538 podcast to be four times longer than it is. You know, there you go, because it's so insightful and it's so interesting and it's so good. So I'm, I totally agree with you. And there are also shows I listen to the NRO, the National Review Online podcast I listen to and another one called Left, Right and Center, where okay. I know to shut it off 15 minutes out because that this is when they go through all their bullshit that I don't care about, you know, where they oh, do okay. like tweet of the week and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, I don't care about any of this. But when they're analyzing whatever it is I'm, I'm tuning in for. Yeah, I, I'm totally with you. And people, you know, with Sacred Symbols, our PlayStation or my PlayStation podcast that I do with Chris Reagan, we have floated doing a second episode a week, which we're probably going to do beginning in do August it? or September. I think good, so. And people good. like lost their minds excited about that, you know? Yeah. So that people really pleased that. me because I think they get it. Like the, you don't really lose by getting more. I think there is such a thing as too much. If you're yeah. going like, there are Rogan. First of all, my Rogan episodes, I did Joe Rogan twice and my episodes were like three hours and three hour and a half hours, which is longer than the mean. It's wow, exhausting doing a podcast for that long, especially when you're with Joe Rogan, who can just throw anything, you know, he wants at you yeah, at any given tough. time. It's yeah, very, you know, we actually get along great and have a good, a good rapport, but I can only imagine, you know, if I wasn't aware and I wasn't ready for him. So th there is something about that, too, where you start to get you know mentally exhausted. I know that when I I've done I did Sacred Symbols today, that was two hours long. And then Chris and I did a Let's Play, which was about a half an hour. And now we've done this, which is two hours. It's exhausting. Oh, you did. The, you, know? you did those today. Oh, wow. I didn't know you were doing all that today. Yeah. So um, so I guess the point is, is that the only threshold for too long for me is when the quality begins to suffer. Sure. And as long as that threshold isn't met, I want to give the listener as much as they uh, well, as much as they can handle. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned Joe Rogan. I've been so into listening to him, especially I, I have been for a long time, but especially lately, I've been really trying to figure out and circle like what makes him so good. You know, it's elusive with him. He he is good. He's really magnetic. It could just be that he's natural. He's he's very natural. I'll say that. You know, there's nothing forced, fake, or put on with him. You know, he seems genuinely interested and he's intelligent and I think he's fair. I don't know. I've just been really trying to I've just been really trying to analyze him. I admire him. I just, I've just really been trying to pinpoint what exactly makes him so good at what he does with that. And to, you know, and to get that kind of following, you know, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting. It's incredible. Well, what I think about what I think works for Joe is that. And I think puts him in an interesting pocket, in my opinion, is that he doesn't really need to do it. Like he's a millionaire. He's f he's very rich. He was on a is network really? television show. 
Uh, he hosted Fear Factor for many years. He's, a, That's he's right. a, you know, in with Dana White in UFC. He does his stand up. Like the, the podcast is like gravy, you know? That's for him. right. He does the UFC thing too and so like that's what i enjoy about his product so much and you know sitting across from him a couple times myself really having the honor to do that is because what i think makes his show good and this is only my opinion yeah but it's the same spirit i try to inject into fireside chats which is my interview series is he really doesn't prepare at all it doesn't really and like i don't prepare for my conversations either you know so he knows is that he, because he has Jamie? Well, Jamie will bring yeah, Jamie, young Jamie will bring some some stuff up for him and and kind of but I think that the I think what makes Joe operate is very similar to like he's like a polymath almost. Like he he understands and knows things. A lot he, of things. At the very at the very least he's a renaissance man where sure. he actually he actually knows a lot about a lot of things and I I kind of somewhat consider myself similar in some vein where I'm really interested in a lot of stuff. So I think that that just gives you a it doesn't mean I know a lot about a lot. I think I know a lot about quite a bit. But what I'm saying is, is that I think I can relate to him in some sense because I think he just goes in. I mean, I told you the first time I went and actually, I guess the second time, the second time I went to do a show, I got there a little bit too early and he was still eating lunch. So I went and like waited in one of his like one of his, you know, he has like a bunch of rooms at a studio and I just hung out oh, for a little while. OK. And then okay. he's just like, yeah, come in. And then we just started recording. And the first time he walked into the room, shook my hand and sat down and we started recording. So there wow. like wasn't even a conversation to be had. And I think that kind of approach is really quite it's quite pure, actually, because what I always tell people when they want to prepare for my show for Fireside Chats and I, I insist that they really try not to. And I certainly don't at all. Yeah. Um, actually, all I do is I go and read the email thread that right before they get there. And that's it. It's just to, just to familiarize myself with like what we were talking about. Wow. It allows them to di- allows the guest to direct the conversation in a way that doesn't that isn't encumbered by preconceived notions of where I want it to go. Yeah, I don't know where the conversation is going to go. Like I had a chef on the other day that will that podcast will go a lot, you know, quite from some time from now. But I really love food and stuff, but I didn't prepare at all for what he was going to talk about. And what we ended up talking about was a lot of the industry. We didn't talk about food at all. We talked about what it was like being a chef and what it was like working in the industry. And like, do you need to know Spanish? And like, why, you know, all this kind of interesting stuff. And if I would planned for that, I wouldn't have been able to ask any of that stuff because I would have just been like, oh, that's really interesting. But here on my pad, uh, the third <laughs> question I have written down is, uh, what do you think about this? You know, and it's just like a really stilted and, and stiff way to to conduct a conversation. Absolutely. So I think jo- absolutely. So I think Joe is a similar way where yeah. like the more, yeah. the and less preparation, the Joe. better, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. See, yeah, I get you on that. You, you remind me a lot of him. You have a very sim- similar cadence and I know what you're saying. It just leads to real and authentic conversation and that, you know, that's what it is, especially fireside chats. That's what it is. You know? Yeah. He's, he's a master. So yeah, I'm so glad that you like him. Cause I do, I listen to probably, I'm actually really behind. So I hit my podcast cue from the begin from the top and from the back so i let this american life most joe rogan episodes most sam harris episodes most episodes of hardcore history etc all stack up and then on the back end like or in the front rather i listen to all my political and sports shows and then once i've so like i'm a current for that stuff and then once yeah. i'm satiated i go to the back end of the queue and start working my way through the ones from the back so i'm like somewhere in like october right now Okay. Uh, with some totally current with the other half of the shows I listen to. So it's also about how people like I hope people listen to knockback in a very loose way, too. That's the whole idea. Right. This this episode will hopefully be interesting, just as useful, just as you know, funny or whatever. Ten years from now. Yeah. So absolutely. I'm hoping I'm hoping that people listen to our show that way as well. Well, you mentioned this American life, right? If it could even have one iota of the 
le- the legs of that show, you know, which is a oh brilliant. God. That's a masterful show. I mean, that's the, the and our, yeah. Ira Glass is a, Ira Glass is a master. Did you ever try um, to get in touch with him? No, I've never. I've always I've always very much admired him from afar. The person who actually introduced me to him is uh, Greg Miller. Because that show is filmed or I guess recorded out of Chicago. So before it became a big national phenomenon on on radio, on on NPR or whatever it was on, on podcast, it was like a Chicago show. Oh, it was local. And so he was okay. familiar with it as like a younger kid. Um, so when I when I like he introduced me to it, you know, some time ago. And uh, yeah, it, it's it's one of those regional, interesting regional shows that blew up. You know, not not unlike Mr. Rogers or something like that. You know? Yeah. So very similar thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, Dig. Well, let's wrap it up. All right. My and friend. Uh, I actually ordered I strategically ordered food so that it arrives in about 10 minutes. Isn't nice. That nice. Yeah, I know. I see how you do. Yeah, I don't. I mean, my whole my whole world revolves around, you know, thinking about eating and then finally getting to that. Point of being <laughs> I feel the same eat. way. I feel the same way sometimes. I got like when I'm eating, I'm thinking about the next meal I can eat and like when it will be acceptable to eat it. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. We like food. We well, like Dave, I'm food. Re- we're going to talk in a couple of days, so I won't leave you with anything too, uh, too brotherly, let's say. But I'm really looking forward to seeing you next week. So uh, we have much to catch up on there. But we have one more episode to record before that. The final episode of four in wave 8.5. Yes. So I'm really looking forward to talking about Resi 2. Yeah. With you in a couple days. Wednesday. Yeah. Two days. And uh, yeah, so uh, audience, thank you so much for listening to our show. Remember, you can get early ad-free access to every episode by supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. If you want to freeload, feel free to do that. But please leave us a nice review on podcast services. Tell your friends and family and be good to each other. Uh, Dagan, thank you for your time. Thank you, Kyle. And uh, thank you all out there. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Knockback is a product of and a registered trademark of Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded in Santa Monica, California and the Philadelphia suburbs of Pennsylvania, USA. The show is produced by me, Colin Moriarty, and was conceived of by myself and Dagan Moriarty, who is also my co-host. You can find me on Twitter at NoTaxation and on Instagram at CLS Moriarty. Dagan is on Twitter at Dagan1973 and on Instagram at DaganLikesToDraw. Knockback is edited by Dustin Furman. Any snail mail can be sent to our P.O. Box, P.O. Box 1233, Santa Monica, California, 90406. As you know, all things Collins Last Stand, including Knockback, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and we are eternally grateful for your kindness, generosity, and fandom. Carlos Algaret, C.J. Anderson, Morgan Ashley, Taylor Barkley, Sean Battershaw, Martin Beck, Eric Bishop, Mark Boggio, Eli Boisford, Michael Josiah Borison, Barrett Boswell, Daniel Boyer, Spencer Brand, Miguel Brewer, Lennon Brixie, Jimmy Brown, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Andrew Burkhart, Dylan Burns, Chris Buston, Alex Cabrera, Brian Cacciatolo, Tom Cargill, Patrick Carper, William O'Carroll, Ryan Caulfield, Brian Chan, Travis Chandler, Sean Chandler, David Chestnut, Simon Conception Jr., Brad Cooley, Gio Corsi, Nick Cummings, Daniel D'Amour, Colin Davenport, Mitchell Durkash, Zachary Douglas, Night Draft, David Ellis, Martha Emery, Joe Finelli, Eric Finkenbeiner, Fodios Frangos, Michael Gallier, Chris Galvin, Connor Gashian, Alex Gates, Michael Gates, Salem Ghanem El Ghanem, Daniel Glassford, Tyler Goodwin, Josh Gravelick, Miranda Grubba, Tyler Harris, Kyle Hagel, Wyatt Henry, Asa Haas, Azan Isa El Ricey, Josh Yeager, John Jameson, Jimmy Jolicure, Joshua Jonathan, Greg Julius, Anton Kay, Jeremy Key, Antti Kinnanen, James Kinslow III, Ryan R. Kittredge, Jackson Lassiqua, Joe Lawson, Don Q. Lee, Patrick Leslie, Dustin Lewis, Keith A. Lewis, Chad Lewis, 
Blue and Ray Loper, Colin Love, Josh M, Ryan T. Mandel, Peter Mark, Michael Martinez, Sean Mason, Zachariah McAdoo, John McCarthy, Joe McPartlin, Andrew Mendoza, Christopher Midling, Alex Moans, Betty Ann Moriarty, Ryan Murdoch, Adam Nix, Donnie Nolan, George A. Nunez, Brian Ott, Jorge Palomino, Daniel Parsons, Brendan Peavy, Marius S. Peterson, Gerald Pennington, Enrique Perez, Nicholas Perfect, James Perone, Jason Pettit, Jeff Pollard, Louis Powell, Lawrence F. Prokop, Andrew Ramos, Ryan Reeves, Michael Renner, Peter Reynolds, Shane Rayum, Jonathan Rice, Mark Richardson, Toby D. Riemenschneider, Austin Riley, Petro Rose, A.G. Rowe, John Scholes, Michael Shanholtz, Brandon Sharkey, Toby Schutman, Joshua Smallwood, Daniel Streicharsk, John Tabanillo, Ahmad Tamar, Ben Thompson, Carl Tolman, Alan Tremblay, Jacob Turnboff, Phil Van Rall, Raymond Vargas, Michael Vecchio, Justin Wagaman, Oakley Waldron, Isaac Wastman, Damon Weathers, Mike Wayne, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zuniga, Casual Misfits Gaming, Supershot ST, Homeworld Hub, Throw 7, Infinite, Organic Produce, Madmock Media, Fabian, Mubarak, Richter 86, Hugo's Desk, Andrew, Ian, Crisk, Donk 2015, and Gavin.